This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, the ideas. We'll bring you the uh, guests that uh, will give you the information to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday. Three more days till till Christmas Eve. (sighs) We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Holy cow. I don't even know where to begin with the news. We could we could just start with the obvious tragedy in the universe. There's one major confusing moment in the Miss Universe pageant. Well, there's probably more than one. I mean, it's it became now an international incident. Well, it was international the second it happened because of the way the the internet works because it was leading, uh, what, you go over to the Daily Mail and it was the top story for half the evening. It's amazing. It probably misses universe this – well, so if you didn't hear, Steve Harvey, who is the comedian. He's a comedian. He's a comedian. And he is the host of The Family, Family Feud. Feud. For the last few years. He just, he just made a little mistake. Yeah, yeah. And he tried to fix it. Yeah. Which made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> He just made a little mistake. Because he could have just said, no, 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 just let it go. But yeah. he, he was probably also being told to fix it. So he goes, fine, and just jumps in. And uh, There's just no graceful way to – once you've said Miss Columbia is the winner. No, no, he goes, Columbia! <laughs> he had an accent on his <laughs> – yeah. but why wouldn't you? No, yeah. Celebrate you, it, you, right? Well, you, yeah, you're trying to be – And then it was, whoops. Uh, Let's back this up. And then it – because Miss Columbia didn't really win. She was the first runner-up. Yes. And Miss America, the second runner-up – or, yeah, Miss America, second runner-up. But the real winner was was Miss – was was from the Philippines. Yeah. And she was totally confused. She had no idea. No idea. And they kept restarting their celebration music. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, uh, hold on. Do you want to hear the audio? Yeah, let's hear it. There's, I have to apologize. The first runner up is Columbia. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Miss Universe 2015 is Philippines. He didn't know how to. So so he didn't know how to do this gracefully, so he just did it. They start the music again, and the Miss Philippines is kind of off to the side. Yeah. She's standing next to Miss USA, yeah. who was the uh, I think it was the translating. I think Miss USA was- Miss USA looks over at her and goes, I, I think you won. And she looks around like, what's going on? Miss Philippines has no idea. So then they, <laughs> they, they, they have her come out to the stand in the middle, yeah. of the, you know, out to the top of the stage, and she's standing there next to Miss Columbia, and they're both just sort of- now what do we do? And and then they have a, an, a uh, one of the women that has been bringing people on and kind of guiding them on and off the, the yeah. stage. She comes up and stands in between them. And 
She's like, you know, and as you heard, they restarted the celebration music, and yeah, I, I wonder how much of that cheering was can cheering that they they kind of sweetened the sound with. Oh, so but this, you know, they had to take the crown off of her at the end, yeah, and the sash off of her. Yeah, it was. They did. They didn't. I, the clip I saw that was really at the end. They kind of waited. Everyone just sort of stood there. Go ahead and start it up again. Play that. No, she's not walking. She's, she's just like, standing so there. So I won? Did I win? <laughs> What's going on? Listen, folks, let me just take control of this. This is exactly what's on the card. I will take responsibility for this. It was my mistake. It was on the card. Horrible mistake. That's cool of him. the right thing, I can show it to you right here. The first runner up is Columbia. It is my mistake. Still a great night. <laughs> Still a great night Please for number two. <laughs> Please don't. We feel so badly, but it's still a great night. Thank you all. <laughs> and then oh. he walks off the stage. The the woman that came out to, to kind of the hostess, I guess, yeah. to stand in between. She's she's there just you know, trying to keep them both standing there, and yeah. you know, let's try to. She, she you could see it's okay, it's okay. Just you know, smile. That you know? is and then, unbelievable. And then at, at some point, someone else came over, reached up, grabbed the crown off of Columbia, now, and put have it to on take the your crown off. That's not yours. <laughs> The crown belongs to and The whole time you're like, wow, that was just so bad. And I, I don't know how you fix that. You can't do it later. No. Because you got to have that moment. But the moment's completely lost now. I'm pretty sure by the time they're taking the crown off Miss Columbia, Steve Harvey's in a limousine driving away. Yeah, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. Not doing that. And then, and then of course, afterwards, Donald, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. He's got to say something. He tweets out. He goes, because he used to own the, this this yeah, uh, this pageant, never would have happened and he sold it and he goes see this never would have happened under my watch this uh, never would have complete mess you know it's just it's kind of funny I mean all the 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 tweets the most awkward moment in television history see and I was on uh, BuzzFeed yesterday afternoon as I do and they had the 22 most awkward moments of 2015 so they already put out the post yeah. and then later that evening they've got to add I think an everything, addendum. Everything was topped. Well, the card's pretty clear. Second runner-up, USA. First runner-up, Colombia. And Miss Universe is the Philippines. Yeah. Oops. Uh, my son's always like, you have one job. You have one job. Oh, I'd feel bad for Steve Harvey. He's a good guy. It's okay. He can go back to the family feud. He seems to be doing fine financially on the feud. Kind of look for the the awkward sort of off color yeah. sort of. You know, he actually did bring in a little joke. bit of feud mm-hmm. in the global family. <laughs> Unbelievable. He will his uh, popularity on that show probably will never oh, no. be tarnished. Oh no, because he just goes in and does his thing. He probably he may even address it on that show. Oh, I'm sure. He, and they go, hey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry what? I owned it. What? Well, Can a did. guy not make a mistake? And he owned it. He didn't try to blame anybody else. He didn't yeah. try to say, you know, the producers or something. He said, it's my fault. Here's the card. Wow. I misread it. Sorry. Do you know what that reminded me of? Ben's first show with us. Train wrecks it. Do you remember that? Choo-choo. We have the sports car. We're flying along, yeah. and Ben just puts it in the wall. Do you remember that? Someone would say that was a mistake. Oh, it, it was a mistake. Yeah. I, I see it differently. <laughs> he sees it as artistic choice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm not turning the microphones on. Why? Not doing it. Shouldn't be a problem. I think silence sometimes is the best Yeah. Best kind of radio. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of people disagree. Um, the uh, did you watch the the bowl game with the uh, the the BYU? The first quarter, and the Utah. You know, beat down. That was Actually, unbelievable. I went and watched Star Wars, so I saw the better the better entertainment at the time. Thirty five points in the first what seven minutes? Yeah, Something the first first eleven minutes. Eleven minutes, and they were all from interceptions and fumble yeah, recoveries, turnovers, yeah. fumbles. I mean, it looked horrible. I was like, I I think I'll go watch Star Wars. But then they came back, and and when oh, that was cool. I saw the last five minutes, which was probably the best part yeah. of the game. Oh, just if if they had just one more one more shot at the end zone, eh. one more hail mary, or or don't turn the ball over, throw interceptions. Yeah, yeah. W- one less interception would have done it as well. Well, yeah, but I mean that was just some of that was just flat out random. A tip, sure. A tip, sure. But you know they gave up thirty five points. Yeah, and the the Utah offense had barely touched the football. <laughs> Well, right, but then when the Utah when offense did, did touch the football, there. there wasn't much to But you it. shouldn't give up 35 points, no, sure. and the other team's offense hasn't broke a sweat yet. No, sure, that's that's a big deal. Well, there were some weird calls. My son was there, and he's like, it was pretty frustrating. Yeah. Some calls were, like, a little out there. That's but, the gamble of traveling yeah. to a location, spending yeah. money, and you know, having sort of like a mini vacation yeah. show up, and then your football team can't play. Vegas was hard for a lot of people. What, is that where they did the Miss Universe pageant? Yeah. Yeah. Vegas really messed up Steve Harvey, the Cougars, but they they almost came back. That would have been the biggest uh, de- coming out of the biggest deficit that if they had just been able to pull that off. Uh, and then Kalani Sataki, the new BYU coach. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of it. And then the tragic accident. Later on today, and then the accident. We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, man. It was just a crazy Vegas. What happens there, you know? It doesn't stay there, apparently. Just ask Steve Harvey. You notice that he didn't use an accent when he announced the Philippines. No. I think at that point he was like, let's just get this right and get off the stage. I better get out of here before there's an let's international Let's fix this incident. and run. <laughs> so sad. And he just sort of went, I'm sorry. It turned around and walked away. He's like, right, we're done. And Oh, man. Okay. Got my white tux on. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of here. Hey, we're going to have Joe Cannon coming in in just a few minutes. Live from Bogota, Colombia, apparently. Who? Joe. Joe's in Bogota? He's in Bogota. <laughs> He's hiding out from the cartel. He's looking for Miss Miss Columbia. <laughs> Miss Columbia. So we can ask him about that. Well, we can see how the people in Colombia feel about all Probably that. Probably has no idea. Good. We'll talk to Joe there. And many don't know it, but there was a Democratic debate. There was. That apparently... Was they were trying to hide from everybody in the world because it, it got about like the 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 Republican debates are you know like eight, eighteen ratings yeah, yeah. where this one got about an eight yeah usually networks will pay for overnight ratings so they get the the, the ratings as soon as they can and they, you'll yeah. see reports the next morning this is how many people immediate are. ratings so apparently you know, ABC didn't pay for the overnight not worth having they just went eh we're fine we don't need to know how many people watched well and it's almost like they didn't want anyone to know about it because yeah. they couldn't well, have picked a worse time they didn't pick it this is the Democratic National Committee yeah no, that's what I'm saying the Democratic yeah. Committee so didn't like, want anyone to listen it's not like ABC or before them CBS yeah, with the last nuts. one wanted these parked on a Saturday night they, this is the Democrats they're trying the, to protect Hillary allegedly allegedly and on the night that they're releasing the Star Wars movie yeah they just pa- and <laughs> well on, the weekend yeah yeah the weekend and on the Christmas and holiday it's the Saturday before shopping. Christmas so shopping yeah I that's mean, where you do it like when would be the worst time for the debate Let's do it right there. I don't know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Maybe let's do it. 
I mean, the only what what time could be worse? Christmas Eve. Yeah. Christmas Eve to me. No, Christmas Day would work because everyone's kind of sitting yeah. around playing with toys. But Christmas Eve's kind of a mm-hmm. night where you're 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 focused elsewhere. Wow. <laughs> you could have a debate right there. I'd be mad because you want to watch your candidates. Come on. No. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll talk about that with Joe as well. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? Thanks, Matt. One person was killed, 37 others injured when a driver repeatedly struck a crowded Las Vegas sidewalk Sunday night. A female motorist barreled into a crowd of pedestrians two or three times on the South Las Vegas Boulevard near the Paris Hotel and Casino and Planet Hollywood, police say. She was detained nearby and is being tested for drugs and alcohol. That has been completed. No results have been uh, announced as of yet. Uh, this is Las Vegas Metro Police Chief Brent Zimmerman. And yes, the driver did go from one location into the street and then back onto the uh, area where pedestrians was in, were in front of the Paris. They shut down part of the strip, turned it into a triage center as they tried to handle injuries right there on the spot. Local TV reports say the driver had a three-year-old child with her as she drove away from the scene before surrendering to authorities at uh, just right there on the strip, she they, they caught her on a parking lot and they just down the ways uh, of the injured police. Said six people in critical, uh, again, 37 injured, one killed, deputy. And then it uh, they believe it was an intentional act. This was not an accident, this was not a, a failure of the car or something of that nature. So that will be a story that continues this morning. Bernie Sanders' campaign has suspended another two staffers over the DNC voter data breach. A source confirmed to Politico after Saturday night's debate. These two joined Josh Oreski, the campaign's data director, on be- in being forced to leave until further investigation. During the debate, Sanders formally apologized to Hillary Clinton for his team's access from the information from that breach. Donald Trump, the national frontrunner, keeps his big lead in two of the three states of New Hampshire, South Carolina, but now... Texas Senator Ted Cruz has moved past Trump into the lead on his own in Iowa. The Texas Senator in the new CBS poll grabbed a support of 40% of likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa. Trump is at 31%, followed by Marco Rubio at 12. Hmm. Every other GOP candidate receives 2% or less in the poll. Cruz momentum comes just over a month ahead of the Iowa caucuses, which takes place in six weeks. Man. So he made a move for whatever Cruz is, yeah, he's riding it on. More than 9 out of 10 Americans have resorted to last-minute holiday shopping, often because they were busy earlier in the month or couldn't figure out what to get their friends or family, according to retail coupon site Retail Me Not. Six out of 10 of those down-to-the-wire shoppers prefer to shop in stores rather than online because of the risk of having a late delivery. Of course, if you're waiting until Christmas Eve to stock up on gifts, you're probably too late for anything but in-store shopping or to use online ordering with in-store pickup. If you fail in that category, you still have shopping options. Some stores are announcing they're going to stay open until 11 p.m. Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. So you can show up and get your late shopping done. I appreciate it. Which stores are those exactly? Because <laughs> I might need them. Like Target, Walmart. Mm. They're, they're out there. Good. So uh, And also the, the other story over the weekend star wars force awakens oh, yeah, that one the biggest opening box off weekend of, of all time 238 million uh dollars in north america or north america alone the wow. previous record holder was jurassic world it just did that over the summer at 208 million the force awakens has made uh, what 517 million worldwide the second biggest global opening behind jurassic world unbelievable and they haven't opened in china yet Man, they'll open in China the first or second week of January, and that's not that's, even, that's just ticket sales. That doesn't even include merchandising, does it? Yeah, they they made about 
they've made about five billion, they think, in Man. Christmas time. You know, twenty fifteen off Star Wars toys and all that stuff. Unbelievable! So. I am so in the wrong business. I should be making Star Wars movies. Anywho, hey, let's get uh, let's take a break. Come back when we come when we are back. Our our uh, Washington insider Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're going to be talking uh, politics, trying to figure out to what to really pay attention to now as we're getting closer to uh, the Iowa caucuses. Man, holy cow. Uh, in fact, our guest, uh, Joe Cannon, just had breakfast with the governor of Iowa. We'll find out what he found about, about that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, in on the line with us from Columbia, by the way. We're going to have to ask him about how Columbia, the country, how they're doing with the mess up with Steve Harvey and the Miss Universe pageant. Joe Cannon's on the phone. He's the chairman of uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization you can find at fuelfreedom.org. They're trying to do what they can to lower the costs of your fuel costs here in the United States. You know, make it more affordable for you to 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 get the fuel you need. He's also was the chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day. Also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, and served in the uh, as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. He was also a, the news editor of the Deseret News, which is a major kind of uh, you know intermountain newspaper that uh, is very popular in Utah in the Intermountain area. Anyway, let's get to talk to Joe and find out what's going on around the country politically. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. And thanks for uh, calling in from Columbia. Is is everyone okay in Columbia about the mix-up with Miss Universe? Well, I've only been here one day, and, uh, and uh, I haven't... I haven't heard anything about it. I, uh, Good. Okay. That's a day. I'm going to spend most of the day with, well, you know, I haven't talked to anybody. So I'm, I'm, I I heard what everyone else heard, that there was a big mistake, I guess, <laughs> in, uh, in crowning Miss, Miss uh, yeah. Columbia. But um, You'll hear about it today, probably. I, actually, yesterday I just went went to church, and, of course, I didn't understand anything. <laughs> uh, I don't speak Spanish. That's so, a, uh, what, what are you doing there, yeah, Joe? Uh, just visiting some friends down here, um, so it's just uh, just kind of some friends. I'm, I'll be with them, and they're going to introduce me to some other Colombians today, and I'll probably hear a little bit about the Miss Columbia fiasco. Yeah, it's okay. It's just with Steve, you know, Steve Harvey. He just he just said Miss Columbia won the Miss Universe pageant when she really was the first runner-up. That's enough to get you killed right. in some countries. Hey, um, talk to me. You you well, had well well well. It, Go ahead. I, I can't remember. It was Colombia or Argentina, where in a in a World Cup match, the uh, team scored an own goal, and later on, that guy, the guy who scored the own goal, and causing I, that's I, right. I can't remember if it was Argentina or Colombia, anyway, but they lost, and the guy ended up murdered. Oh my heavens! Line, apparently, because because of that. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be brutal, I guess. <laughs> you don't want to make mistakes like that. Talk to us about speaking of brutal. The Iowa caucuses, they're coming up. I mean, it's its getting closer, right? So 
Talk to us about uh, your breakfast with the Iowa governor. Any any interesting news come out of that? You know, uh, I really would love to say I got some scoop from that, although I do have some scoop to talk about. But, uh, yeah, last week uh, I ended up having a breakfast with, with other – there were other, other people there. It wasn't just the two of us. But uh, uh, with Governor Branson, he was studiously avoided saying anything – about particular candidates, but he did he did reveal something that we've all known and believed, and that is this. He said, all I know is this, I'm not supporting anybody who doesn't support Iowa corn. So this, this explains the madness of everyone going to uh, uh, Iowa on either side, even if they've never heard of corn or ethanol. Man, they become the biggest supporters of corn oh, yeah. and all that you could have. Uh, because Iowa, it really is, it really, really is a big issue for Iowans. I did learn that. The, the, the interesting thing, just to share, this would be almost no consequence to anybody, but it turns out last Monday, uh, Governor Terry Branstad became the longest serving governor in the history of the United States. Hmm. And he, he basically broke a, a two century old record held by Governor George Clinton of New York. Wow. So the reason that's sort of interesting is, is that that night, I was in, in Des Moines, I thought, well, they had some friends there. We went to a, a dinner honoring Governor Branstad. Branstad and uh, just for your Utah listeners, interestingly, it was Gary Herbert. Governor Herbert was there introducing uh, uh, Governor Branstad. Governor Herbert's the chairman oh, of uh, National interesting. But in, in the aftermath, I went over and talked to Governor Herbert, and we were some of the few Utahns in the whole uh, in the whole place. But I ended up running into um, Governor Sam Brownback. Governor Brownback is the uh, governor of Kansas, former U.S. senator, very, very conservative, probably the most conservative governor in the United States, and uh, deeply evangelical. And we'll get, I'm sure we're going to get into the, the primary races and stuff. But, uh, you know, Cruz is leading in Iowa, and, um, and uh, Trump is behind, and Rubio is behind. But one of the things that Rube, what I learned from Senator Brownback and his son, who he introduced me to right there, is that they are all in for Rubio. Are they? And I think the interesting thing about that is, is that that is – so you've got various kinds of conservatives, but where Cruz seems to be doing the best, is among the evangelical, very hmm. religious voters in Iowa. And to have Brownback and his son come in and be all in for Rubio at least gives Rubio some kind of a, a claim on that constituency. I have no idea where this will all go. Yeah. But it was just interesting to, to hear to hear that from uh, Senator Brownback and his son. Now, now, I, I'm going ahead of your questions. I, I was just – I was wondering, teach us why – it seems like Iowa – has been, um, you know, they're they're always they always have the first race or the first caucus. I guess it's not even a primary; it's a caucus, right? And so maybe explain to us why what's the difference between the caucus and a regular kind of primary race, but also explain why Iowa has this much power because it seems like this doesn't this hasn't served the Republican Party very well for the last three or four cycles. It seems like Iowa ends up yeah. pulling apart the the GOP. Well, and it hasn't 
it has it has the caucus has given us some presidential uh, candidates and others. You know they've gone with uh, you know they've gone with Santorum. They've gone with uh, I think Huckabee's done pretty well there. Uh, in 1980, uh, uh, George H.W. Bush beat Ronald Reagan hmm. in Iowa. So I mean, there are all kinds of uh, interesting twists and twists. I I don't know, and I'm not sure anyone knows how it came to be so locked in that Iowa was the first place, uh, the first the first. I'm going to put put quotes around primary, but the yeah, first battleground. Place, so yeah, a, you know, a, a battleground. And and why is that? I don't know, but I do know this. The Republican National Committee guards that jealously. If, if any state hmm. were to come in and say, hey, we want to be ahead of Iowa, they would be penalized at the convention, uh, the, the national convention, um, uh, when it was, you know, in the summer, uh, July, August time frame. So um, th- there's a lock on there. People seem to like it. Maybe the candidates like it. It's small. I mean, I mean it's uh, Iowa has just a little over three million people. It's only slightly larger yeah. than uh, population-wise than Utah, uh, although it does have like ninety-nine or a hundred counties in that place. And, oh. and a lot of the candidates try to make a big deal of going to every single county. Because you're really you're really fighting for uh, not not it's not a representative vote, right? It's there's caucuses. They have to go every every caucus no, votes. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah, let's touch on that. So you've got all these caucuses, and they are county caucuses. So that's one reason that's important. But these are not binding or anything. It's really just a popularity contest. No delegates are actually chosen by these caucuses. Oh, wow. It's it's basically like a a preferential presidential preference uh, 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 vote. And And what's significant is is that so... Whoever shows up, I mean, you could actually just get people to go. You're you're Donald Trump. You could get delegates to go, sign up, register, sign up, and go to these caucuses and vote. And uh, that's that's what wins. The the result in in actual electoral terms is meaningless, mm. uh, though it turns out it, it can be very significant, and and it might be significant this time too. Um, you know, if in, in the odd chance that uh, Donald Trump were to come in second, well, he's likely to come in second. He may even come in third uh, in Iowa. That would um, dent his, you know, I'm a total winner. Although he's already trying to, you know, minimize the consequences of uh, Iowa. But um, so a, 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 a caucus, these caucus, this this caucus, but now in Utah, caucuses matter because they actually do elect delegates that go to a convention that become that eventually become delegates for a particular a particular mm. candidate. But Utah's an anomaly. Most caucus states are like like Iowa. It, it matters either nothing or very little. Now in New Hampshire, it's different. New Hampshire is a primary state. You know, voters show up to the polls. And they vote, and when they vote, their vote matters to who gets the delegates from New Hampshire. So it matters. It's it's much more a, a real election-like atmosphere. And in that and in that setting, Trump is way ahead right okay. now in the polls. And so so uh, if, if so Trump could, uh, and it looks like Cruz is doing really well. In um, in Iowa, maybe I guess going after more of those religious conservative kind of votes. So if Cruz, let's say, takes Iowa, 
that does put a dent in uh, Trump's, you know, invincibility factor that he can't be – he's not going to lose. He's a winner. Um, who do you sense has the best shot of – if there is anyone – of upsetting Trump in um, New Hampshire? Well, right now, I mean, you know, polls, of course, aren't prophecy, but right now Trump has such a substantial lead. I mean, he has more than Cruz and in the – I'm taking the real clear, real clear politics average. He has more than doubled both Cruz and Rubio together. Hmm. He's at 28.3. They're at 12 each. Uh, the, in, the interesting story, if there is one uh, – is that Christie is moving up, and he's only a hair behind Cruz and Rubio. So for number two, could matter quite a bit. I mean, if, if for some reason Christie were to come in second place, it would it would breathe some life into his campaign, although I don't know how well he's going to do in the Southern state primaries. But, uh, so, but right now Trump is dominating in New Hampshire. He's yeah. dominating. I mean, I guess that's where and he's, dom- he's dominating. He's dominating in the national polls, although the national polls are going to be, at least for the next few months, le- less relevant. But even in the national polls, he's double what uh, what Cruz is. What, what do you see? What's your what's your feeling of what Trump is saying about uh, Putin? I mean, that seems like of, of all people you want to, uh, uh, you know, align yourself with. Vladimir Putin may not be the guy. Well, maybe, but if you're if you're uh, Donald Trump and you're going to look around the world for someone to have a man crush on, uh, who's the most likely guy? Who's yeah. the guy most like you? Tough <laughs> talking, uh, you know. He owns every he owns everything. Uh, he's a real winner. He punishes losers. Uh, you know, he's a thug. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, uh, Maybe uh, Trump and Putin were separated at birth. Who knows? I mean, they, uh, <laughs> Maybe they're there's, twins. There's a lot for a guy like Don. There's a lot in Putin for a guy like Donald Trump to admire. I, now, whether I, I don't think it's perfectly good politically, but nothing, nothing seems to hurt Trump Mm-mm. with his followers. No, He's no. Got a hardcore set of followers, and you know. The rest of us, and I, I know we're, I'm, I'm nonpartisan and try to be as open as I can. I just think Trump is a disaster for our country. Is do, do you? I'm, s- I'm not even saying Republicans. I'm saying for our country. Well, and it, it seems like uh, with the G, with the Democrats debating, Trump was brought up a lot more. Yet Hillary Clinton um, kind of stepped in it when she made the comment about Trump is the poster child for the. Um, for the ISIS because he's so anti-Muslim, and then Trump comes out swinging, saying, "Prove it." I've n- that that's not true that they're making posters and videos of me, um, which which actually backfired on Hillary. It looks like in the press, at least. Hey, I think that backfired a little bit. Uh, I I just think that um, all many people try to say, "Well, if we do this, ISIS grows stronger." Uh, whether it's Trump or whether it's if we identify uh, 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 ISIS with an Islamic uh, tradition, uh, I think uh, ISIS is ISIS. I think they're a deadly, serious threat. I don't think they really care what happens in, in American politics other than to the extent they can disrupt it. Right, right. And I think that that's what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people get on Trump for being – 
you know, so bombastic and so inflammatory and how he over-exaggerates. And then he was able to turn that card right back on Hillary, which, I mean, it's really interesting. Donald's already overtly taking on Hillary, and he became a big part, a bigger part of the Democratic debate than, than anyone else, really. It doesn't seem like the Democrats are fighting each other. They're fighting Donald. Right, and, and uh, of course, he is the leader. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say now, <clears throat> excuse me, exactly how Trump doesn't become the nominee. I mean, in my bones, I just don't feel that he, that he will be, but that's probably clouded by uh, a lot of my own personal feeling. But, you know, if you just look at the polls, and by, and by the way, just a little note on, on Iowa, you know, Cruz is ahead in Iowa, but Phyllis Schlafly, uh, who is, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's hard to overstate how important she is in the, to many conservatives in the conservative movement, came out and endorsed Trump. Basically, I don't think she said, I endorse him, but she said he may be the last hope for America. Mm. Now, I'm going to tell you, Phyllis, Schlafly, Phyllis Schlafly's views are going to matter a lot to Iowa Republican conservative voters. And, you know, what if what if Trump wins Iowa? Mm-hmm. Then it, it's and then he wins Iowa. He wins New Hampshire. It's uh, a lot of people think he's very likely in the polls. So there too, he's going to win South Carolina. Then, so where where does he get stopped along the way? Right, and he's got ratings and nationwide. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Let Let's take a break, Joe. We'll come back, and, and I want to continue sure. on with that because that's. Um, it seems like too there. There's a point where we got to get a lot. I mean, we got to get people out of the race. You got to narrow the race down. When you're splitting, it, like one of the problems I'm seeing in uh, New Hampshire is you've got whatever ten people still running from the GOP, twelve that still have some votes. If anybody's going to ever upset Trump, they've got to start consolidating some of these votes. We'll take a break, continue this discussion with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Find out uh, what else is uh, he's, he's finding out on the inside. Get, get the inside scoop from him. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show in Columbia, the country, by the way, not the university, in Columbia, currently our, our guest, Joe Cannon, is down there visiting, and uh, he's our Washington insider, is uh, here on the show to give us the inside scoop of what's going on politically around the country and around the world. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that is trying to lower the cost of fuel in the United States you know, making your life a little bit easier. So, Joe Cannon, we welcome you back, my friend. Thanks, thanks Matt. Did you hear the latest news? Uh, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham is ending his presidential campaign. He tells CNN. Oh. In, he just barely okay. in breaking news. So uh, there's one suspended. Maybe he just heard what I was saying. Lindsey, yeah, Lindsey Graham has in South Carolina, 1.7% of the vote. Holy cow. So, in his um, own hometown. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, but we need anyway, we need a bunch uh, of those so to I, jump out, don't we? I mean, don't we need it to 
in order to beat Trump, you need yeah. some real numbers. And you can't get numbers when there's, you know, 13 people running. No, exactly. So you've got the – here's the scenario, if there is one, for Trump to not be the nominee. So right now in, in national polls, he's, you know, dominant. He's got 34% of the vote. That's, that's a third. Yeah. Way less than 50. Everybody else has, by definition, basically 65% of the vote. So – if some of these people were to follow, first of all, right now, we really only have a three-person race. It, it, it's true. It's a huge distraction. And some of these guys have, have um, you know, little little pieces of, of, the, of it. But at the, at the end, it's really now down to Trump and Cruz and Rubio. That's where it is. And so the sooner that gets consolidated, but, uh, I, I should say Christie has a little bit of a chance in New Hampshire, but nowhere else. Hmm. Nowhere else. I mean, he's like way uh, below the radar scope in Iowa and in South Carolina. So, so what you've got is Trump moving up, Cruz moving up, Rubio steady to slightly down, and Carson dramatically down, and everybody else is below five percent nationally. So, so that's one one fact. Another fact I put in quotes around the fact here. A lot of uh, Trump supporters are not your traditional uh, political people. So he he is uh, very appealing to a set of people who don't traditionally show up and vote mm. in the Iowas and the New Hampshires and in the primaries. Now, whether that's true, we'll find out. We'll, yeah. we'll find out. But but right now, at least polling, if you, if you look at the numbers, the, the, the sectors that he polls from, they're not – Voters of a high sense of political efficacy, i.e., ones that go out in those primary states and go door to door and knock and get get people out. So it could turn out that there's a little bit of a, you know, a shell here that could crack pretty quickly. Now, yes, the rest of these candidates would drop out, and just just say if you added up Carson Trump, I mean Carson Rubio, uh, Cruz, and Bush. You know, sort of at the national level, then all of a sudden you're you're actually quite a bit ahead of Trump, oh, yeah. and it's highly unlikely, for example, that a Carson voter is going to wake up and say he likes Donald Trump. It's highly unlikely that a Rubio, just say Rubio, were to fall out and Cruz went ahead, or vice versa. Neither sets of those supporters are likely to go for Trump, and and there's polling evidence for this. When you look at who who's everyone's second choice. It's hardly it's not Donald Trump. Right, right. In most of these other categories. So so you're right, there could come a quick consolidation and unlike what we've seen so often, uh, where whoever wins these sort of front loaded primaries wins. Maybe this thing does go longer and longer into more and more states, even after Super Tuesday, although that will be that will be very, very interesting if if Trump is able to coalesce his supporters in all of those states. On one day, so wow. there's a lot to be seen. I would just go on record as saying that it's uh, there's zero chance there's going to be a quote brokered convention. It doesn't doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, you're everyone's going to show up with some delegates, and they'll just keep voting until somebody gets fifty plus one. That's what happens. It's not. It's not like the old smoke-filled rooms like you've seen in old black and white movies. Right. 
In fact, did you did you read that article by Nate Silver um, at 538.com talking about the fact that usually the most covered candidate isn't always the winner? Like, you know, Jesse Jackson. You know, I did, I did. It's a fascinating article. That Gary Hart was one of the yeah, most covered that, candidates. Yeah. So maybe this won't bode well for Trump necessarily. In I mean, really, from '84, Jesse Jackson was the most covered. Uh, Gary Hart in '88, George H. W. Bush in in '88 for the Republican side, Douglas Wilder in '92, Bob Dole in '96, Al Gore in 2000. It doesn't always go for the winner, which is amazing, and because nobody's done better media push than Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump is one thing he is, is a smart businessman. He's also spent less than most of the other candidates because he gets all this free so-called earned media. Yeah. He doesn't need to spend any money. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, it's, it's all. What will be really interesting where you do need to spend money is on, on organizing your ground game and getting, getting people out and, and getting on the ballots. don't have enough information to, to see how he's, uh, how he's doing on that score. Does um, talk about the Democratic side for a bit. Again, why it seems like um, the Democratic Party is basically just backing Clinton because why else would they hold their um, debates on a night, on a weekend night, the week before Christmas, Star Wars weekend release? Um, major kind of bowl game kind of night, shopping. It's almost like they're trying to do it in a way that nobody can watch. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, in the law, there is a, a wonderful phrase called race ipsa locator, and it means the thing speaks for itself. They say to the honor, you, you judge your honor, Race ipsa locator. We don't. We don't even need to put any evidence. The thing speaks for itself, and in, in that case, holding a, a debate on Saturday night, any Saturday night, right? Sort of any Saturday night, the, the Saturday night before Christmas. Uh, yeah, it's 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 clear evidence. They they have no interest in showcasing anybody but Hillary A and B, showcasing any differences that could come up. So, so in other words, you were aware of the uh, Hillary um, uh, thing on, on on Trump and ISIS, but yeah. almost nobody else would pays be. attention. Only to... really deep political cognoscenti are. Most people don't even care at all in general, and of course they care less right around this time of the year. So, yeah, no, the the the, the DNC is all in for for Hillary, and they should be really. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's the, the the idea that. Uh, that Sanders will be of any consequence in in their presidential candidate selection process is it's ludicrous. I mean, she's got it. She's it's not even the she is the presumptive. You have to say presumptive because the little technical detail of actually getting the nomination is just several months away. But um, yeah, it's, if if you're the DNC, what you want to win is you want to win the president, which is why. Uh, everyone's focusing on Trump right now, right? On their on on the Democrat side. Does do you, do, do you so, see Donald yeah, Trump yeah. having the same impact in a general election? Will he be able to stir the pot in the general election as much as he is now? It, will he be able to, you know, take it to Hillary if those are the two presumptive nominees? It, would he be able to take it to Hillary the way he's been taking it to every other GOP member? 
Well, he will. He will take it to Hillary as hard as he can and as much as he can. But the question is, does he have anything beyond the current fairly narrow base that he has? Right. I mean, I see if Trump is the if Trump is the the Republican nominee, you're you're looking at a could be a, a total fifty state. You could you could you could maybe eclipse uh, Richard Nixon's uh, uh, destruction of. Um, uh, well, let's see, of uh, George McGovern in, in uh, 1972, where he took 49 states. <laughs> he didn't take Massachusetts, and he didn't take uh, the District of Columbia. Uh, Hillary Clinton could take all 49 states. You know that even in Utah, which is one of the most Republican states in the United States, Trump is like in fourth place among uh, in, in polling wow. in Utah. Yeah, no, so, right. You're not, you're not, you're looking at a guy who is at the speed of light right now. And so however obnoxious he is, however snarky, however mean he is, however tough he is in a debate, uh, it won't matter. It won't matter. Right. His, uh, he, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't even win 50% of the Republicans in the United States of America. Hmm. Would, would, do you uh, think he, there are many people? Who, you know, do you think you'll get the same pass? Like, I mean, the media—he's playing the media like crazy. Would he be able to play the media as strongly as he is, or would the media come back and start protecting Hillary? Well, like, he will—he will definitely get a lot more scrutiny than he's getting now. I mean, right now, it's, look, if you're a media person, what's the best for you? Every, every day, Trump is going to say some something that is going to strike a lot of regular people is crazy. And so, yeah, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a narcissistic, insecure bully, and, and he acts that out. Mm. Yeah, the media's going to have a field day with that. But when it gets down to two candidates, and if it happens to be Trump is the one, just say, welcome President Clinton. There you go. Oh, what, uh, we got about 30 seconds, Joe. Anything else we need to focus on? Oh yeah, there are a lot of things to focus on, but uh, so we should we should talk about the threat someday, the threat of uh, of, of religious liberty, the, the yeah. attack on religious liberty in the United States and 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 worldwide. I think we're we're looking at a really uh, big crisis uh, down the road, but that's way too big of a topic for right now. But yeah, let's come back and uh, let's I, talk I'd about say, that. Uh, yeah, I would say Merry Christmas to that, you and to you too. Uh, all of our listeners. Joe, you too, brother. And be safe traveling. I mean, once once it gets out in Columbia, what Steve Harvey did, you, you might be in trouble. So hurry back. Okay. Be safe and happy okay, holidays. Thanks, Merry Christmas to you, Joe. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cool. Um, cool stuff. Next year, we will get into religious liberty a lot, I think. It's a uh, – you can't – you can't start taking on a person's religion – Right? Discriminating against religion just because you feel unsafe. We'll take a break, um, come back, wrap up this show for the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Well, uh, you know, you're, 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 it's coming down to the wire. You get to go have a great holiday season. 
And maybe for the next couple of weeks, you can take a break from politics and just go enjoy each other, your family, and the things that matter most to you. Uh, you know, we'll be able to pick it all up again in January and take you to, all the way to Iowa, find out what goes on in the caucus there. But um, maybe it's time to just take a break from politics. We are going to take a break right now. Come back next hour. Got a great guest, Dan Ariely, one of my favorite authors, will be on the show. And he's going to be talking about the honest truth about dishonesty. How honest are you really? Interesting, interesting research he's been doing. And uh, most of us tend to, you know, fib a bit. We'll get into that. Stick with us, folks. Next hour, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Four shopping days left till Christmas. Is that right? Yeah. Four shopping days? Well, it's Christmas Eve is Thursday. You have today, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Well, I'm not going to worry about it then until Wednesday. Okay, good. So I really only have one shopping day. But it's in a couple days. Yeah, talk uh, talk to me about um, this, this crazy weather. Today you may not know this, December 21st, uh, winter solstice. First day of winter. Except if you are east of the Rockies... You may not notice it's winter. Yes, it might be 60 degrees. Yeah. It might be kind of warm, no snow. You're concerned. Yeah, it's a weird, Last year weird you were buried. time of year because it seems like the um, when, I, when I look at it, we're about to have a huge winter storm. I am apparently going to be driving in the snow tomorrow or the next day to get here, and I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure I'll be able to make it in. So I might just not come to to work at all. Is that bad? Yeah, that would be bad. Well, then what do you do? What we'll are just, you supposed to do? We'll just play promos for three hours. Yeah, is that what we can do? Can we yeah. just do I mean, Don's here. I'm going to figure out maybe Don could just cancel the show for Wednesday because of such bad weather. Huh. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to predict it, but that is what the meteorologists are saying. And you know, meteorologists never lie. They never. They never have problems. So anyway, um, if we're not here Wednesday, it's because we got snowed out. For the rest of you on the East Coast, just continue your incredibly warm, balmy weather, and we will have the white Christmas for you. That sounds so negative. Hey, we got a great, great guest. Uh, coming up, one of my favorite reads, uh, Dan Ariely will be joining us. And Dan is um, – he is uh, – he's a, a PhD. He works at Duke now, but he used to work, I believe, at MIT. And uh, he is here to talk about honesty. You know, we talk so much about honesty because politicians are such a bunch of liars. And he's he's going to get into some of his research about the fact that most of us tend to be – a little dishonest. That's a lie. <laughs> a lot of us, we, we think we're more honest than we are. You know, you don't, you don't tell the whole truth. I, 
I try to. No. I think. Either. No. Well, I guess I told my wife the other day that my kid didn't sit there for – well, he did. He, he played he was, with the iPad yeah, for yeah. like four hours. Right. Then she came home. She accused me of letting my kid play with the iPad for like four hours. Which was accurate. Yeah. I, I, I questioned the fact that she walked in the door and doubted me. That somehow right. I would let my kid do that. But that you was did. her first thought. Yeah, yeah. That's not the point. The point is you can't believe so, she thought that. Yeah. So with me tossing that out there, even though I did it, mm-hmm. and, and acting all offended, is that a lie? Is that is that Yeah. Okay. You're lying to yourself. Because it was fun. And she looked at me and she goes, But you did. And I went, Well, yeah, but that's besides the point. But you you should you think, doubted me. You should think <laughs> that I'm better than th- than I am. You I should. want you to have a better opinion of the actual truth. Come on. Oh, that is so – that's a great example. Of a lie. Of a lie and just self-deception. Most of us do that. We think every – like even, even the, the fact that we believe we are better drivers than we are. Right. That's just a lie. We're, we know we've been ticketed four times this month or whatever. Not, not. Is it a tendency for self-preservation? Yeah. In a situation where you don't want to be exposed for doing something wrong, so maybe you it, – it might be a little white lie or just a version of the truth or not yeah. the entire truth, but yeah, no one gets hurt. Right. It's fine. Right. You only sort of lied. And, and, and it's, it probably is survival. But it's also – You get also, that fight or flight response. Like, so your first thing – oh, my, ki- yeah. my ki- children do this. Oh, yeah. I didn't do it. He's standing there covered in whatever in glitter dropped. Yeah, <laughs> who's playing those, with the glitter? I you see the it. videos online. There was yeah. there was a video a few years ago of two kids that took uh, crayons or paint or something and scribbled all over the the bathtub. Yeah, yeah and they're both that? standing there covered, covered in whatever they used. And like, oh, we didn't do it. I don't know what happened. Dad. That's right. That's right. So we've got to. Fit. I mean, it's one thing to blame. We can get mad at Trump because Trump's calling Clinton a liar. Clinton says Trump's a crazy loon. I don't know that she said that. I just lied about that. There's a lie right there. So we're going to be speaking with uh, True Blue expert Dr. Dan Ariely will be joining us. Do you think he lies? Oh, yeah. The guy who studies how people lie, does he lie? Uh-huh. Maybe you should ask him. No, See if yeah, he lies to you. He, yeah, he won't. He'll be like, yeah, <laughs> I do. He, he also wrote the book Predictably Irrational, one of my favorite books. Because have you ever talked with him before? I can't remember. Okay, I always have wanted. I don't know to. if he's been on the show. I don't. I don't. We've been trying think to. So. I've been trying to get him on for multiple subjects because he keeps yeah. writing things where it's like that's interesting. He's Let's got a great podcast called Arming the Donkeys. Okay, it's fantastic. And seems like a horrible toy line from the eighties, but that's fine. <laughs> that donkey's armed. Uh, but predictably irrational is all about the idea that we we keep falling into the same traps. Like most salespeople can sell you uh, whatever. Whatever they want to try to sell you, they can do it because you are so irrational, predictably. If you're given three choices and the three choices are scripted in the exact perfect way, you'll take the middle choice every time and feel good about it. Yeah. And he'll he, – I mean it's, it's a brilliant book because you need to read it before you go buy a new couch set. Or what happened store. to me? I was, trying, I was looking for tires. Mm-hmm. And I go into the tire shop, and they give you low, middle, and high, yeah. and then tell you the low is like completely worthless. Don't even try yeah, to get those. Yeah, it'll be falling apart. Why, in why a did you years? give them to me for an That's option right. then? Or you can have the high tires that are gonna they're they'll save your life and yeah. they'll rock your baby to bed. Right. Or, but they cost a fortune. Or you can just go right down the middle of the road and get the really good tires for a pretty good price, but more than you wanted to spend. Always a little bit more. I'll take the middle one for sure. <laughs> I don't want – my tires don't need to rock my baby to sleep, and I don't want them falling apart. 
so sure. I'll just take a loan. <laughs> you <laughs> almost feel like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get to him. Great stuff on that. And we got a Kalani Sataki, new BYU coach, is coming in. He is supposedly the the Don, the D O N of the Polynesian recruiting line. Did you not read those articles? Well, I re- what do you mean the Don? The, the, he's the head, the jefe. He's a, there's a thousand— Don and like the mafia boss uh-huh. sort of Don. Like he's in control. He's the guy that he's has all the, the influence and power. Because okay. so f- we, we work with an individual named Don. No, it's a different Don. Who is our boss. But he's like the Don. Okay, so he's like Don in that yeah. way? Okay, yeah. well, two yeah. Dons, multiple Dons. This Don, but Sataki is going to recruit, they say, a bunch of Polynesians have been going all over that should have been coming to BYU. These Mormon Polynesians. So I, what you're saying is BYU is going to tap back into and control the Polynesian pipeline. The the Mormon Samoan Tongan <laughs> Poly pipeline is what they call it. All right. I guess a thousand kids go to some uh, some. What do you call it? Like it's a, a football camp? camp, yeah. It's called and, the All Poly Camp. And Kalani Sataki is one of the dudes over the camp. Yeah. It's it's an opportunity <laughs> to, to mentor, and they also can see who these players are because they don't get a lot of uh, yeah. recruiting exposure, and they're able to uh, to get a lot of kids' college scholarships. Now, is that – it just seems like, okay, is that is that why you're hired? But but he's a killer recruiter. Have, that, he that, knows what he's doing. That's part of – the package. You have to be able to recruit. You yeah. have to know. You have to have a plan of how you're going to do that. I don't even know it's Kalani Sataki, but I feel bad for him. Really? Already? He's got a really difficult year next year. Does he look good in blue? Is that the problem? I've never seen him in blue. Okay. I saw him in, he was know, in red. running back. And when then he's he been orange and, orange and black recently. So, But then he's got to come in here and build an entire organization. But wouldn't you want that, though? Why would yeah. you want to come in and work with people that you didn't select to work with? If well, you have the chance, like you could have hired your entire staff, but instead, you know, decisions were kind of made. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, Ben just sort of showed up one day. I don't even know how Ben got in here. Yeah. But I was the best decision of this whole show. <laughs> sure you were, Ben. Well, okay, see, we're talking about lying coming up next. <laughs> lying to oneself. Oh, Ben's so cute. <laughs> so cute. Um We'll get to we'll, – we'll, yeah, but Kalani's got to set up an offense. He's got to be recruiting. He, but yeah. he, I guess one thing BYU did show in the bowl game, that they, they don't start out very well. No. But they got some serious finishing skills, and the, they got one of the best quarterbacks around. The first step is the receivers need to catch the football when it hits them in the hands and not just tap it. Oh, so did it's you see a that nice placement for the other by, team to pick it, it up. Was it Hauk that got hit right in the face? So after three interceptions and a fumble – um, Mangum throws a beautiful pass. Was it to Hauk? Is that his name? H-O-U-K? Sure. And, oh, it was a perfect pass. It was fast. It was a fast, fast throw. And it hit Hauk right in the mask. And that's when BYU fans started booing in the stadium. <laughs> like, okay, we're done. Like, what would have been great, just for fun, is if it had just stuck right in his grill. Right. There would have been a reception. He could have gone for the, t- the touchdown <laughs> with the football over. hanging out of his helmet. That would have been great. That would have been great. Yeah, that's why we're not the football show. No. <sighs> They'll have fun today. They will have a great show today. Anyway, let's get to the headlines, find out what else is going on around the world. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Senator Lindsey Graham is ending his presidential campaign. He told CNN this this morning. My campaign, I'm going to suspend my campaign. I'm not going to suspend my desire to help the country. But the one thing I feel really good about is that I did it with a smile on my face. 
I've talked about things that are important to me, and somebody better fix one day. (laughs) He is planning to make his official announcement in an email to supporters later this morning. So just to recap, campaign suspended, desire to help, not suspended. Yeah. Okay. Great. So So he'll be a great cabinet member. (laughs) He's there. Great secretary of defense someday. Uh, This from overnight, a section of the Las Vegas Strip was shut down uh, Sunday after a vehicle hit dozens of pedestrians on a sidewalk outside of Planet Hollywood. One person is dead, 37 injured. The driver of the 1996 Oldsmobile fled the scene and turned herself into security at a nearby casino. There was a three-year-old child in the car with her, police say. They believe drunk drunk driving is suspected. There has been some... Some tests taken, that uh, information will come out later. The incident took place as the Miss Universe pageant was finishing up inside Planet Hollywood. Police say they do not consider the incident to be terrorism, but they are treating this as an intentional act. Uh, To other news, Donald Trump fired back Sunday. Hillary Clinton's claim that ISIS militants are using his anti-Muslim rhetoric as a recruiting tool, speaking on NBC's Meet the Press. It's nonsense. It's just another Hillary lie. She lies like crazy about everything, whether it's trips where she was being gunned down in a helicopter. Uh, she's a liar, and everybody knows that. I mean, uh, but she just made this up in thin air. Clinton said during Saturday night's Democratic presidential candidates debate that Trump is becoming ISIS's best recruiter. Clinton communication director Jennifer Palmari said Sunday that the Democrat was not referring to a specific video and said the groups monitoring ISIS have said that Trump is a social media propaganda tool for jihadists. But see, does this not remind you of when Trump said there's thousands of people in New Jersey? Yes. And then he came back with a report of there's maybe maybe a, a we're barbecue. Not even, yeah, it wasn't really a, a number put to it. So yeah, yeah kind of you know variations on the, Which the again, theme of what he's going to pound on. Donald Trump is the former owner of the Miss Universe pageant. We played earlier the audio of Steve Harvey awarding <laughs> Miss Columbia, uh, or, or announcing her as the winner when actually Miss Philippines was the winner, and then he fixed it, and it was uh. kind of confusing. Trump was on the Today Show this morning, and this is how he would fix it. I think I'd make him a co-winner. It would be very cool. Make him a co-winner, because what happened to the girl from Columbia is devastating. To give it to her for a couple of minutes and then take it away. So what do you think? Co-winners. Well, but co-winners, it, it's not right. One of them won. Yeah. So, because of a mistake, you He's, don't. He it said it'd, it'd be great winning. for the brand. Well, let's just make you and Hillary co-winners. I don't want to be president. No, no, uh, Trump and Hillary. Well, Trump doesn't want to be president either. Well, apparently he does. Oh wait, does he? Yeah. But let's there make is, them co-winners. There is a theory that he does not want to be president. Well, I think the theory that he's just is playing games. He might be playing games and then hand it to Hillary. Right. <laughs> but she, he's some sort of an agent for Hillary. There's that conspiracy theory out there. I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't think Trump's far-fetched. done anything that selfless. No. He wants it bad. Do you think it's one of those things you get it and then you're like, oh, wait, now what? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like when you win class president and you realize you're senior class president and you realize you have to do the reunions for the rest of your life. <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> you're like, why did I even do this? Anyway, crazy stuff. We um we'll be getting uh we'll be getting into this lying topic a little bit more in just a few minutes. Our hope our guest hopefully we'll get him on the phone, Dan Ariely, a professor at Duke University and just a wonderful author that uh He's willing to take on some subjects that you don't necessarily, I don't know, you're not always proud of. One of them is honesty and the reality that each of us, you know, we all exaggerate to some degree. 
we all, you know, don't tell the full truth about everything that happens to us. You know, have you ever kept the extra change if they gave you too much change back? Hmm, interesting stuff. We'll be talking with Dan Ariely and his book, The, uh, you know, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, honesty becomes a hot topic during the presidential race. Do we trust our politicians and how honest do we think they really are? But how honest are the rest of us really? Do we tell ourselves and others white lies? Do we rationalize? You know, are we willing to just, uh, you know, exaggerate a little bit on our stories? Was the fish really that big that got away? Our guest today, Dan Ariely, is the author of the book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. He's one of my favorite authors um, and in some of his other books, Predictably Irrational and the Upside of Irrationality. He is the James B. Duke Professor of Psychology and Behavioral Economics at Duke University. And uh, he's joining us today to talk about The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, his new book. Dr. Dan Ariely, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. My pleasure, but but I have to tell you that uh, basically saying in the same sentence that we all tell little lies and exaggerate, and then that I'm your favorite author, that just doesn't feel right. <laughs> no, I know, I but you really are. Direction. No, but Dan, you really are. I was so moved by your book, Predictably Irrational, and hearing your stories about uh, burn uh, the nurses and what they do, you know, do we pull the bandages off quickly or, or slowly? It Honestly, it changed my life and it made me decide I got to get more into this field. So I am honored to have you on and talk about it because a lot of us, we, we don't like to think of ourselves as liars. You know, we're just we're just putting a good foot forward. That's right. And, uh, and, and white lies are probably the best example uh, for this. But it turns out it's more than white, white lies. It, um, we have this uh, tremendous ability uh, to fudge a little bit what's convenient for us in the short term, even if it's bad for us in the long term. And we've done lots of lab experiments to do this, but recently we've also interviewed some big cheaters. Mm. And uh, we, we put out a documentary movie called Dishonesty, uh, The Truth About Lies. And, and I'll just give you one, one example. Um, this was we interviewed about 40 people, but one of them was Joe Pep, and Joe was a cyclist, and he was a good cyclist. He was in the American uh, Olympic team, and he goes back to school to finish his degree. He comes back two years later, and he says that he's about the same, but everybody else is a little faster. And he's crying, and he's upset, and he cries to one of his friends, and his friends give him a, an address for a physician. And he goes to visit this physician, white coat, stethoscope. The physician writes him a prescription for EPO, which is a cancer drug that also increases the production of red blood cells. So basically gives us more oxygen. And he goes to the pharmacy. He gives them the prescription. His insurance pays for it. He pays the deductible. He gets the injections. He goes to his room. He takes other injections for legal things, right, vitamins and so on. And now right. he has another injection. And then he finds out sometime later that everybody in the team is doing it, and then he moves to a team, and the new team, it's not just him, but the, 
the team managers are taking orders for drugs. Then there's a shortage of EPO, and he has some friends on the Chinese team, and they put him in touch uh, with the Chinese manufacturer, and he brings some. Then some friends of his from another team ask him for help, and he gets them drugs as well. And eventually he's a drug dealer. Mm. And, you know, you look, you look at this progression, and you say, when you look at what Joe did at the end, you say, I would never do that. I would never import drugs. Yeah. But, but when you look at the first step and you say, if I was a cyclist and so much of my caring and motivation was wrapped into this and I did really bad, wouldn't I cry to a friend? And if they gave me an address for a physician, wouldn't I go? Right. And if they gave me a prescription, wouldn't I go to fill it out? And wh- when exactly would we stop? Yeah. And this, this taking a small step and having a slippery slope is incredibly common. We find it everywhere. And, and you see, when, when we read some newspaper stories about some, what people have done, it's very easy for us to think that it's good people versus bad people. Yeah, right. And that good people like us don't, don't behave like this. But when you look at the details of everything, all of a sudden you say, my goodness, I, I could have done that. I, if I was Joe, I don't know exactly where I would have stopped, which means that the difference between me and him is just opportunity rather than some strong personality trait. Is it just is it because it's so logical? I mean it makes it's you you I think call it rational. Um it's just so rational. It it's you're not jumping ahead to all of a sudden being a dealer. You just right. are taking care of your own needs and if you're using it then you're on a team, you may as well help your teammates and then That's right. And and it's rationalization, right? So it's not rational in the economic sense, but right. it's about rationalizing something and and we find that lots of things help people rationalize. Things like saying everybody else is doing it Mm. makes it really easy to rationalize. Saying the system screwed me over in some other case, now it's time to to get back. Or think about online dating, right? People lie in online dating all the time on their profile because they say, you know, I'm 48, (laughs) but I really look 45, and that's actually more correct. Or they say, yes, I'm 160 pounds, but I used to be 150, and I plan to be 150. Yeah, I'll get back there. (laughs) (laughs) So... So it's it really, you know, we think about lying as lying to other people, but, but a lot of it is kind of lying to ourselves by not thinking long term. Even you look at the LIBOR scandal most recently, um, it wasn't the people at the top of the bank that were designing it and executing it. It was really people at the, at the bottom of the rank who were not really getting much benefit from this, and they were cheating for the for the bank. Uh, so, so let me tell you about two, two new experiments we've done. Yeah. Um, so, so here's the, one of the basic ways we measure dishonesty. We give people a six-sided die, and we say, why don't you toss this die, and we'll pay you whatever it comes up on. It comes on one, we'll give you one dollar, two, two, three, three, and, and so on. But you can get paid based on the top side or the bottom, top or bottom. You decide, but don't tell us. So I say, please decide top or bottom and keep it in your mind. You said, okay, I decided. And now we say, please roll the die. And you roll the die, and it came with five on the bottom and two on the top. And now I say, what did you pick, top or bottom? <laughs> now, if you picked bottom, you say bottom, no problem. But if you pick top, now you have a dilemma. Do you say the truth, top, and get only $2, or do you change your mind after the fact? You say, no, I really meant bottom, and you uh, get $5. And people have a list, and they kind of mark a V, yes, I chose. They write down what the die come up on, five and two, and then they say what they chose, and, and so on, and they do it 20 times. And we find that when people do it 20 times, you know, they're a little extra lucky. People are more <laughs> lucky than they, than they should be. Yeah. 
uh, lots of people are extra lucky, the vast majority. Now, here's, here's an, an interesting version of this. Imagine that you're doing this, and you're sitting next to your significant other. Now, your significant other doesn't know if in your mind you're thinking top or bottom, but they see the list. And in the list, you're extra lucky or not. So what do you think? Do people cheat more or less or the same when they sit next to the significant other? Uh, I would say uh, should be less, but I would bet more because I'm. Pre- right. it's irrational. That's Interesting, right. yeah. So people, so people cheat more. And, and most people think it will be less. Now, now why, why is it more? Let me take you to another experiment, yeah. then we'll come back to this. In another experiment, we did the same thing, but we connected people to a lie detector. And we asked the question of whether the lie detector can detect this uh, lying. And the answer is yes, not all the time. You know, lie detectors are not perfectly accurate, but they can detect it with statistical accuracy. But in another version of the experiment, people were cheating for a charity. People picked a charity they really liked, and all the money they made went to that charity. What happened now? Two things. People lied a bit more, and the lie detector couldn't detect anymore. Huh. And why, why couldn't the lie detector detect? Because the lie detector detects attention. I feel this is bad. I, I, I want more money, but this is a bad idea. I want more money, but this is not moral. I want more money, but this is wrong. But if you don't think it's wrong, the lie detector doesn't detect anything. Right. It's all for charity. That's right. So, so what happened is, let's go back to the other experiment. If you sit next to your significant other, all of a sudden you say, oh, it's not just for me, it's for the whole family. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to lie this way. Wow. And in fact, lots of the things we find in companies are like that, where, where people, in fact, um, lie, taking tremendous personal risk and lying for the benefit of the company as a whole. Right, so we just need it for the next quarter, or we just need it, and, and people are taking um, terrible, terrible personal risks for this benefit of the company. But the thing is that because they work for a company, they can justify it. Right. It's, it's. I guess it's back to the team mentality. Right. I'm doing it for the team. All it does, exactly. I guess, is changes our ability to justify and rationalize our actions. Exactly. And rationalization is really kind of the main principle. Is every time uh, we can, we can. Uh, rationalize something, um, then then we can do it. Hmm. Well, that that's interesting with the news that's going on, Dan. I mean, the news about police forces and excessive force, you know, and political issues. And there's so many topics right now where it might behoove us to be more dishonest because we're doing it for our team. We're doing it for a fellow, you know, police officer. We're doing it for, you know, a Republican yeah. or a, a Democrat. Yeah, I'll tell you some more about uh, politics in a second, but, uh, but I think this idea of doing it for people. So I, I met with uh, some groups in the military not too long ago, and they said, you know, we're sending uh, these, these groups of elite fighters to do all kinds of missions. And then they come back, and we do a debrief. And it's always the case that something did not work out as planned, right? There's always, always mistakes. Right. But they said, but in debriefing, Nobody's willing to give away their their team members, right? And, yeah. and it's a very complex thing because if you are a member of an elite military unit and you put your lives in the hands of, of those people, imagine that you go into this mission knowing that they'll later on report everything you did correctly and incorrectly, right? It's just not trust building. Right. So, so – 
so it's a big it's a big dilemma that on one hand we want people to be trusting and caring and create camaraderie on the other hand we want them to to talk about those things when they don't work out well but but there's really no way to get both of those so so there really is in your in your research you you got to kind of choose camaraderie or correct data yeah accuracy um, and and you know we have to figure out how do we how do we do this like what what is the right level and you know often women are whistleblowers not men hmm. and it's not because uh, women have higher moral code even though sometimes they think they do um it's it's because they're not part of the old boys network right so if right. you're if you're with your friends and your loyalty to your friend basically gets you to see reality in a different way and and not to report and and want to see life from their perspective if you're an outsider you don't have those biases to the same degree interesting so so it's almost like you need an anonymous feedback system would that work if like would an anonymous feedback system work so so listen f- first of all what we need to recognize is that conflicts of interest are very corrosive all right so yeah. so here's what what we do is we let's think about bankers we put bankers in a position where they could get lots of money if they could sue reality in a certain way, and, and they get no money or very little money if they see reality in a, in a different way. And, and the, the, the way that they get to see reality and, and get paid is not necessarily accurate, right? right. Now, now, ask yourself the question of whether you could see reality in an accurate way if you got, I don't know, $5 million to see mortgage-backed security is a good product. Mm. And on top of that, you didn't see the victim of the crime. And it was all very distant, and everybody around you was, was doing it like this. Wall Street, when you think about it, it's almost the ideal approach to rationalize uh, bad behavior. It's so easy. There's so many elements to rationalize. So, so of, course, of course we get bad behavior. And we say, oh, these are just bad people. No, no, no. These no. are just people that we put in very, very difficult situation of conflicts of interest. Oh, man. It really is, and and like you're saying, it's there's very basic, there's very basic, um, you know, principles at play. I mean, if you're a member of a team, it's going to change it. If you if you see the victim versus not seeing the victim, it's going to change it. Yeah. You know, the the member of the team. You know, every sports fan knows that that you can't see a game in an objective way. If you if you're a big fan of a team, mm-hmm. right? You get pissed off with with the referee and almost everything they do against your team. Right. And we know it's not objective, but, but that's how we see reality. We see reality from the perspective of the way we want to see it. And it's, it happens in sports, but it also happens in other things, right? So um, you go to your doctor, and you want your doctor to be objective. But we created a system in which uh, the doctors have uh, lots of incentives not to be objective, right? So, right? so imagine you're a doctor, and you get paid to put stents in people. Mm-hmm. Right? You're a cardiologist, and you get paid to, to put stents. C- can, you, can you help but see the world? Everybody comes into your office as a potential stent. <laughs> it's, That's it's, right. It's just inhumane not to, not to see it this way. No, exactly. And, and, and then, you know, but you've also made it, taken an oath to, to ensure that you're looking out for their best interest. That's right, and and the oath and the oath is good, and it helps to some uh, degree, but but it's not going to work against the incredible financial pressure of uh, the benefit of putting stents. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the the medical system is actually measuring kind of um, your your 
efficacy in, in charging for your services, right? So, yeah. so imagine that, for example, we just took radio as an example. And I said, every time you say something funny, you get two points. Every time you say, yes, I do, you get one point. Every time you say no, you get uh, minus points, right? Right. And, and we just posted these points. Even if you didn't get paid for them, it would certainly drive your behavior. Yeah, you'd pay attention. Yeah. Interesting. No, it really, it's, and again, I think what we're finding out, Dan, from you is we, we think we just do it intuitively. We're just honest intuitively. But there's so many other systems at play, concepts, structures, constructs, uh, interesting stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Dan Ariely from Duke University um, and the author of the book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves. Also, two other books that I, I love, Predictably Irrational and The Upside of Irrationality, all by Dan Ariely. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the discussion on the other side of the break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show a little eagles for you a little lion eyes uh, on the phone with us is Dr. Dan Ariely um, and Dan is the author of the books predictably irrational and uh, the upside of irrationality today he's talking to us about a book uh, called the honest truth about dishonesty how we lie to everyone especially ourselves uh, Dan has um, a great website. If you go to danarielli.com, A-R-I-E-L-Y, danarielli.com, um, you can get more information about uh, everything he's doing there from speaking to books. Um, he also has a really great uh, uh, podcast that you ought to go listen to um, that is called uh, About the Donkeys. What, uh, Dan, what's the name of it again? Arming the donkeys. Arming the donkeys. And, and the, the logic of that of that name is that we're all a little bit like donkeys. Not, <laughs> we don't like to admit it, but we're not as smart, not as thoughtful, and maybe more stubborn. But the, the arming <laughs> part is that hopefully by understanding ourselves a little bit better, we could do better. And that's really, I think, the gist of this whole thing is, I mean, if we can we can we become more honest, Dan, by just being aware of our of our patterns. Our tendencies. So, so here's the thing. Uh, the, the, the part of the really depressing thing about uh, behavioral economics is that it just seems so depressing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you say to yourself, oh, you know, people are great. And then we say we come and we say, oh, you know, people are myopic and yeah. vindictive and we make mistakes. And it's a really, it's a really sad thing. Um, the good news is that it also tells you where we go wrong and how we could do better. And and for me that's that's kind of the real the real issue. So if you say to yourself, um, you know what, we could just resist temptation and so on, uh, it's it's just not true. But if you understand where we fail, m- maybe we could do better. Mm-hmm. So imagine that I came to your office every morning and cover your desk with donuts. Uh, what are the odds that by the end of the year you would be, you know, healthier? <laughs> not very good. Zero. Yeah. But but we don't have to do that, right? We don't have to layer this with, with donuts. What, what we could do is we could say, let's design the environment in a way that helps us to, to behave better. So so let's take it into, into dishonesty and conflicts of interest. You could say, let's create a medical system that has lots of conflicts of interest, and let's create 
a financial system that, held, that has lots of conflicts of interest and a political system mm. with lobbies that has lots of conflicts of interest. And I just hope that people would behave well. That's it. Well, That's the problem. Say, or you could say, let's not. Let's, let's understand that human nature is such that it's very hard for us to resist temptation. It's very hard for, hard for us to think about the long term, to overcome conflicts of interest. And therefore, let's just design a system that don't have as many conflicts of interest. And I think that for me is the, is the hope. It's not the hope that you know, people would, would make the right decision every time, given a system that tempts them not to. It's the hope that we could design systems that would be better for people. Well, yeah, and like, I, I mean, you don't have to have the legislation being written by by you know vested interests that, and all of the different uh, what are they just the organizations and the companies that are going to profit off of the legislation. That's right. So, so think about lobbying, right? So, so on one hand, it's really kind of a wonderful part of human nature. You say somebody buys you a beer and a hamburger, and all of a sudden you like them a little bit better. <laughs> and you start seeing life from their perspective. That's a beautiful thing, right? You would say, oh my goodness, that's great. I would, because it means that we can get, we can make friends yeah. more easily. Get we stuff get done. To care about us. Yeah, all of that is great. But now you combine it with lobbying and all of a sudden it's terrible. So, so I haven't interviewed many lobbyists, but I interviewed lots of um, pharmaceutical reps. Yeah. And particularly device reps. These are people who sell different medical devices and they sometimes get to go in the operating room with the physician right. and in real time recommend to them what devices to, to use on a particular patient. Is, is that really a good system? Do you want to go onto on, on surgery when you know that somebody that gets a commission gets to sell the exact whatever, a stimulator, replacement right. knee, whatever it is, when you're asleep? You know, and, and it's not as if the physician has a lot of time in that moment to say, let me shop around. No, mm-hmm. there's only one person and one recommendation, and they get paid more um, b- based on how much money you spend. It, it just can't possibly be the right system. And yet it – and it happens – and I guess it happens, Dan. Why? Because it just we because don't – we don't see it. We, we don't, don't see, see it. it. You know, when you, when you look at yourself and you say, are you objective? You would say, of course I'm objective. Sure. I'm not influenced by those things. Um, by the way, I also want to tell you a little bit about politics. Yeah. So um, we, recently, we recently did a study on what people expect from their politicians in terms of honesty and dishonesty. And what we found was that people want their politicians to be dishonest. And, and what I mean by that is that people care about the outcome, right? If you think that global warming is, is real, you care about policies about global warming. If you think global warming is, is fake, you want policies about that. If you think that you want big government, you want, that's what you care about. If you want small government, that's what you care about. And people don't care as much about the path to that. Mm. So they basically say, I, the world would be better off if we had socialized medicine or if we didn't have socialized medicine, whatever they believe in. And they look at politicians as, as lying for a particular goal. So what happened is that because it's for ideological reasons, it is okay. Right. Right. So the people, the people on the left are saying, you know, these idiots on the right don't understand global warming. It's okay to fudge the numbers because by fudging the numbers, we would at least get the policy that would save us all. And one day those idiots on the right would, 
would thank us for it. <laughs> and the people on the right are saying, you know, Obamacare is just ruining this country. The people on the left don't understand this. Uh, they are too naive and they don't understand the real world. If we just kind of change the numbers a little bit and get them to, to do it, get to cancel Obamacare, life will be better on and, you know, in 50 years the world would, would thank us. So what happened is that people understand the politics is a means to an end, or they define it as a means to an end. They also know it's a, it's a dirty fight, and yeah. they just want their politicians. So we want the politicians on the other side to be honest, because we care about honesty. <laughs> but we want our politicians to promote the agenda that we believe in. It's like, it's like you don't want your special forces to just be nice guys. That's you, right. you want them to go in and kill, do what you yeah, got to do. That's that's a good metaphor, right? Which you, you basically say um, in in war, you kind of accept some um, value shift, brutality yeah. That yeah, yeah. You said you know it's not this brutality we want in civic life, but in in military, we understand that this brutality is needed um, to 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 fight particular aspects, and and we are willing to fight in an ideological way. And then uh, what happened is that in politics, we're adapting the same things. Wow, is it? And I guess, I guess this is this is human nature, do you, or do you sense that it's human nature getting away from us? I mean, now we're creating immense systems, political, medical, uh, you know, um, legal systems that are designed to to not necessarily be centered, and financial systems not that are that are not honest. Yeah, so so I think that. Um, it's, it's both. So I think in politics, because we have grown to accept that politics is dirty, um, now we're basically saying, okay, I just need my politician to be more dirty than the other one. I don't think yeah. we necessarily had to get to this situation, but I think we are in this uh, situation right now. And then in terms of other things with conflicts of interest, I think that what happened is that in many cases we let the people who design the system, uh, the people who get to benefit from the system, also design it. So think about something like cardiology, right? Who are the people who set the standard for what is acceptable cardiology procedures? These are the cardiologists. Right. Right. Now, do they, do they set up procedures that are not necessarily always in the best interest of the patient because they're bad people? No, of course not. They're good people, but they're clouded by their conflicts of interest. Mm -hmm. So what happened is that we were creating regulations by the people who tend to gain from those regulations, and those people don't see things in an objective way. right? So I'm, I'm a university professor. Imagine that I would set up the rules for how much university professors should get paid and how the, the th things should work out and you know what would students do uh, all the time. Of course, I would set a system saying, my goodness, I have one of the most important jobs in the world, you know. Right, changing lives, yeah. That's right. This, this, uh, w w let's, let's bring back this idea that students should bring apples to professors, uh, to, <laughs> to teachers in, in the morning. Um, so, so I think basically we're creating a system without understanding conflicts of interest and creating it in a very uh, dangerous way. Oh, man. What, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, Dan, what would you say just for the average Joe – to to make sure I'm I'm you know more honest, more whole in my delivery of what's going on, more complete. Um, what yeah. can I do to make sure? I guess it's maintain my make watch out for my own conflicts of interest. But what can I do to promote you know healthier lives, uh, on, less cheating? Uh, on, yeah. So so one thing is awareness, 
right? So, so you basically say, you know, what, what is this situation? Like, just, just, just think about it more. Another one is to create rules. So, for example, I have a rule that every time I'm in a meeting when somebody has something in their teeth, I just tell them. Mm. And, yeah. and I actually always tell them I have a rule. I say, oh, you have something in your teeth. And just so you know, I, I, I have a rule I tell people all the time. And people always appreciate it. Oh, now, yeah. That's not a big deal for right. some people to have something green. But, but as, a, as a principle, the moment you have a rule, it helps. And then the final thing is conflicts of interest. Uh, many of us have lots of opportunities to develop conflicts of interest. And the question is, how do we, how do we eliminate them? Um, how, do you, how do you make sure that your opinion is not colored uh, by something else? So, you know, I, I was recently asked to be an expert witness um, in, in some uh, class action lawsuit. Right? And, and I knew that if I would get paid, I would be... be I would want to see things from the side of the, the people who paid me. Right, right. So, so what I decided is I would say, would I do this for free? Do I think this is important enough to do it for free? And what would my opinion be if I didn't charge anything for it? And I decided that's what I, that's what I need to do, that I need to, to be an expert witness without, without an incentive, and that's the only way for me to be sure that I'm keeping my integrity. Mm. So it's an expensive, it's an expensive deal, right? Because I, I could have made some money out of this and I'm doing it uh, on a, as a volunteer instead, but, but I don't have to, and, and, and this will happen to lots of people in many cases where you say, let me sacrifice my conflicts of interest uh, at the expense of financial well-being and we'll have to figure out to what extent are we willing to do these trade-offs. Right. No, I love that. But in the end, though, Dan, also I would trust a, a, a special witness that has no financial tie more than one that doesn't. Right. So it does build trust in the end. That's right. Although, you know, with the system of lawyers and judges that's and true. so on, that's a bit... That's, that's so true. It's but, true. But we do, we do need to keep on fighting this, right? Yeah. It's not going to be easy to solve. Um, but but we do need to think about our own uh, integrity and honesty, and how do we do things that we don't that we would not regret later? Yeah. Well, Dan, we appreciate you. It's great stuff. And again, go check out the books. I love uh, I love what you do, and keep writing. I, even even if you make people mad, Dan, keep writing. <laughs> keep writing. We need it. Dan Ariely. Go to his website, danarielli.com. Uh, go to his his podcast, Arming the Donkeys, or go check out the book, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Excellent stuff, folks. We'll take a break, uh, continue the discussion on the other side of the break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Really interesting stuff. When you think about honesty, you don't you don't think it's that big of a deal. But how about this one? Would you uh, if would you ever rent your Christmas tree? And if you rent your Christmas tree, do you need to be honest and say, "Ah, it's just rented"? I don't even own a Christmas tree. For millions of homes around the country, finding one that is the perfect height, this perfect shape, taking it home, decorating it—it's a time-honored tradition, right? But there's also this nagging sense of guilt. We're killing trees. Is it really okay to buy a once-living, breathing tree and then just chuck it away in the garbage when you're all done? No. 
Well, uh, apparently in England, they're starting to offer tree rentals where they basically bring the whole ball. It's a living tree and a ball of mud, basically, I guess. And you bring that into your house and then, you, you, you know, not a big deal. But then when you're done, they'll come pick it up and take it and replant it. So you're pretty much suffocating the tree for well, you're for a bringing it in out of weeks. the cold, giving it a nice warm trip. Okay, you're then you know you're hanging a lot of sharp things from its limbs. You're torturing it, and if you're lucky, you'll dry it out a bit, leave it bald, and then send it back to nature. J- just let it know that you have the ability to master nature. <laughs> it's so true because what's so weird about it in the end is you're still. You're still beating nature up, right? You're just beating nature up. Well, apparently um, the tree rental trees are going up about 30% a year. People are renting more and more and more of them. Holy cow. That's just – that's crazy. Who to thunk? Maybe there's a day you just get a fake tree like me. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. Uh, next hour, more ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Hey, it's Monday, two days before Christmas uh, break for me. I'm kind of going by my calendar. Some people might, you know, not think that that's on their calendar. Two more days that I have to work. Okay. I'm trying to think, wait, is that my calendar? Yes, we have the same calendar. So yeah. I, I concur. And then if you're for not all here, the listeners, I have they might have to keep working this week. That's fine. They just Christmas Eve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if you go to work on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. the odds are... It's not going to be the most efficient of days to work. Yeah, no. Well, it depends what you're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. If it's office work, it might not be the most efficient time of But a lot of times I like working when no one else is working because then you can kick your feet up, take your shoes off, put on your jammies, walk around the office in your jammies. There you go. Which is what I'm going to be doing this week. Walking around here in your jammies? Mm -hmm. Why would you come into the office? Well, I've got to work. I've got to do my show, but I don't want to wear my jammies on the show. That's not professional. Okay. So I I dress normal, and then I. It's nice to know you have standards. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want anybody to see you in your in your jammies. No. On radio. No. I wouldn't want you guys to see me. Well, we wouldn't want to see you either. So. But so can I just suggest after the show, don't go near my office. Okay. Because I'm putting my jammies on. Deal. Is that why you brought your curtains in today? Yeah. Okay. I'm covering my window today. It's a privacy screen. He's fine. (laughs) I'm covering my window. You may have heard about Steve Harvey and the Miss Universe pageant problem. Apparently, Miss Columbia was Miss Universe for about two minutes because of a mistake by— I don't know if it was two minutes. (laughs) Poor—I feel bad for him. He is a good guy. Yeah. He just read the card wrong. (laughs) But I've got a job for Steve Harvey if he's looking for a job. No, I think he's good, but go ahead. Well, I think he's going to lose a job. 
What, like the family feud? Maybe. No, he won't. Well, I, I don't know. He may not live. This is big. You don't mess with countries. He's going to get the biggest hug virtually from the family feud viewing audience. Yeah. They love that show. They love what he does on that show. They love that he can take the most common phrase of things and make it seem off color, but it's not, and it's all awkward, and people think it's funny. I like he's. I like that he's not Richard Dawson, who used to kiss everybody. Yeah, that was awkward. That was kind of creepy. Yeah. But uh, talk about creepy. And if he needs a job, if Steve needs okay. a job, he can go to Boston and be employed as a living elf on the shelf. Have you heard about these things? The pictures Excellent. are strange. Are they strange? You have a full-grown man sitting up on a mantle. <laughs> <laughs> so in Boston, a, a Massachusetts man posted a listing on Craigslist offering to attend holiday parties dressed as an elf on the shelf. And he will stare emptily at your guests for $100 an hour. Which I'm pretty sure is where Don found Ben. Yeah. Ben's a, Ben's a Ben on the board. You're not supposed to look at my resume. Yeah. I, that that was it. You were an elf on the shelf. Yeah, it was. It, it was only a seasonal job, so that's why I tried to get away from it. So for $100 an hour. This guy, listen to this. I specialize in holiday-themed events, either yours or an unexpecting friend's. But I also offer contracted private investigation and babysitting services. So he's a PI, babysitter, elf on a shelf. Yeah. Huh. If you need an it's elf on the, the shelf card. to watch your kids. Yeah. That might be the, how you go shopping. You hire the elf on the shelf, hundred bucks an hour, and about three hundred bucks later, you got all your presents. Kids are taken care of because they're not going to mess with the elf on the shelf. No, that's, part, that's one of the rules, right? Yeah. You just you don't mess with them. Either that, or your TV will be gone and all your jewelry will be yeah, stolen. He robs you blind. And you know what? You can name him anything you want. Hmm. Buddy the elf. If you want to name him Buddy the elf on the shelf, it's not original, but okay. You can name him anything you want. He, he sits up there. He's in a, a pair of red long johns, and he's got his little green hat on. Are you serious? <laughs> that is so sad. You're like, wow. But you know what? It's He's in such demand, he needs 48-hour notice. There you go. And it seems like, I don't know that all the shelves, all of the mantles are made for someone to sit You may on. have to reinforce, secure it somehow. Like, Maybe get him a chair. <laughs> he comes with some boards to reinforce the shelf. Yeah, which shelf do you want me on? He's working the shelf. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get ready. <laughs> wow. Anyway, if you are looking for a little extra, you know, cashola, you you got it. Do a little elf on the shelf. I think that's an untapped market. Oh, I think very few people would even think of going there. <laughs> for good reason. Yeah, totally. Um anyway, it's it's sad, but it's totally Great. Uh, we, you know, a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, so we can talk to them about Kalani Sataki, the new head coach, also about the BYU Utah Bowl game, which was an incredible game uh, after the first eleven minutes. <laughs> yeah, once the the University of Utah scored thirty five points, yeah. then it turned into a game. It seems like what happened is the Utes get thirty five points in eleven minutes, and they they just were exhausted, and they just couldn't do anything else. And then finally, BYU, they weren't exhausted. They didn't want to run, run up the score. They had 35 points. They were good. They were they just going to coast. They were good. And then Which, they just couldn't get it back, back. It was like it was stuck in, in, in cruise control. Yeah. They couldn't get it back in yeah. gear. And, oh, it was just ah! tough. I hate that when you can't get it back in Afterwards, gear. Afterwards, their head coach is like, you know, there's some things we need to work on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you know what? In the end, the Utes win. I mean, that's yeah. They that's held on the deal. That's the deal. Well, let's get to the headlines. Find out what else is going on around the world. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Lindsey Graham announced Monday morning this morning he will exit the 2016 presidential race in a video announcement. The South Carolina senator lamented the rising tide of isolationism and insisted on the need for ground troops and fighting ISIS abroad. So he wants boots on the ground. Boots on the he ground. Hoped, he hopes, and, and then he also said he hopes somebody else fixes all the problems that he kind of thought were important. Yeah. Because he's out. He can't fix them now. So well, there you go. One person killed, 37 others injured when a driver repeatedly struck a crowded Las Vegas sidewalk Sunday night. A female motorist barreled into a crowd of pedestrians two or three times on South Las Vegas Boulevard near the Paris Hotel, Casino, and Planet Hollywood. Police said she was detained nearby and is being tested for drugs and alcohol. Reports have the driver had a three-year-old child with her and drove away from the scene before surrendering to authorities. Of the injured, police said six people in critical condition. Here is what one witness saw. People were running behind the car, chasing the car, and they were not police officers chasing the car. Wow. They were hitting on the windows trying to get the kid out of the car because the mama obviously is having some sort of issue, so they're trying to to save the kids. So Deputy Police Chief Brett Zimmerman ruled out terrorism but said that authorities believe it was an intentional act. Hmm. That the driver did this on purpose, which is sad. Very sad. Again, now we'll have people barring cars because we've had two or three of these events. Yeah. Hmm. Just tragic. Uh, I don't know. In other news, global oil markets continued to fall Monday morning, hitting their lowest point since July of 2004. Fears that prices will fall further were sparked by a large worldwide production output and expanding surplus, reports the Wall Street Journal. Industry analysts say $20 a barrel oil is possible in 2016. Separately, the average U.S. price of the pump fell below $2 for the first time in six years. The U.S. average is $1.99 a gallon, according to Bloomberg. Mm. It's been below that by my house yeah. as it recently jumped back up, much to my dismay. <laughs> Just go across the street. We've made all this progress I know. to get the price down, and then it climbs. For but it'll reason. go back up. It always just goes back up. Yeah, It'll go up back up right when I buy my next Hummer. <laughs> it always does. It's affordable to have an SUV again. I know. Now the Hummer's not a big deal. Officials in, uh, I think it's Nashua, New Hampshire, told all public school students to stay home today because of a specific threat aimed at two high schools. We have received a detailed threat of violence to harm students and staff at both of our high schools, Superintendent Mark Conrad announced on the school district's website Sunday night. He said he expects the uh, schools to reopen on Tuesday. Two private schools in the area will also be closed. Well, the threat is from the elf on the shelf. You shouldn't be having school this week. You'd think. I don't know. It depends. But, yeah, so there's more, more school threats, and, and the, uh, even if it seems like it's not a threat, they're choosing to shut You've it down. You've got to be careful nowadays. Yeah. Not sure what's going on. Remember the guy that flew the gyrocopter? Which one? Which one? The one on the White House? The guy from Florida. It was in oh, yeah. spring oh, of yeah. 2015. Mm-hmm. His name's Doug Hughes. From Florida up to- He was a Florida mailman. Yeah. And he had 535 letters, one to each member of the House of Representatives and I believe the Senate. And he was flying them up there. It was about campaign finance sure. report, reform. And he landed like on the lawn. The, of the, the lawn of the U.S. Capitol building. Not a great idea. No, but it 
did expose the fact that you can fly a small gyrocopter, gyrocopter <laughs> all the way right to right into the heart of DC, and you gyrocopter sales went through the roof. And initially, the reports were that they, they didn't see it coming, and then all the agencies, oh, we saw him. We just yeah, he just looked crazy. We didn't want to take him. Tried down. to mobilize, so it was it's still under like, can you get in there to Washington D.C. with this this form of transportation? He is planning to launch a primary challenge to an unrevealed House representative member somewhere in southern Florida. Whoa. He's going to jump in the primary race to some poor congressman yet to be announced. Yet to be named. Who's the most exposed? Who's the most vulnerable? Who can I go after? But he did plead guilty to a felony charge of operating the aircraft without a license. So he has a felony on his record. So what's what's his campaign slogan? He wants things to change. He, and he says, not that there is a problem with Congress, but that there are solutions to the problem. Gyrocopter. <laughs> but that, that was the phrasing of this. He was, the reason I did it, the flying the, yeah. the, the letters in there, he says, the reason was to get a message to the American people, he said. Not that there is a problem with Congress, but that there are solutions to the problem. Yeah. No, yeah. The, the, Which seems confusing to me. If there's not a problem with Congress, no, he, but he has a, a problem, solution to the problem. But there are solutions to the problem that does not exist. Well, he, it doesn't exist because he delivered the letters. Apparently. Which was probably the solution. I hope, hopefully he's talking about campaign finance reform. He doesn't make that clear. Yeah. But he's, he's a felon for what he did. Yeah. But he's running for Congress. Well, I'm Possibly. Gonna, I'm going to bet he won't win. Maybe an outside shot? I mean, unless, of course, he started offending everyone. Okay. That's calling, you, calling everybody names. That seems to be the trend at the moment, right? If he used the word idiot a lot and then talked about How, his own million. Does he, has this guy made millions? No. Billions? He's a mailman in Florida. Okay, yeah. He doesn't have a shot. He's, he's in <laughs> trouble. Oh, well. Not everybody can, you know, go in and win a race. Anywho. You know, so... Either get a gyrocopter, that makes you popular, or Elf on the Shelf job, which Ben apparently is doing this afternoon. You're all dressed up for that. Yeah, I'm moonlighting. So Tights. I think tights are against the company policy. You might want to look into that because if HR sees you wearing what you're wearing, they're going to probably take care of things. Yeah, I was was just going to leave work as fast as possible after this. Luckily, I just had uh, Terry's going to go call him right now while we're in the show. Oh, really? Yeah, just so that you don't miss that chance to have that great time. Wow, thanks. Thanks. Don't ever wear tights again. Scourging my moonlighting. Sorry. You're only allowed to have one job. Hey, uh, we are going to take a break. When we come back, do you ever notice that sometimes the holidays bring out your worst self? You get caught up in all the minutia and you just turn into a, a jerk, maybe? Our next guest, Dr. Relly Nadler, will be joining us, and he's going to walk us through um, how to use your emotional intelligence and to, to use it to elevate your game this holiday season. Creates a little more emotional stability for you and for those around you. Interesting stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Love is not a toy and no paper will 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Sarah Bareilles for you. She's the bomb. Uh, we are talking today about how to have a more emotionally intelligent holiday season. A lot of times, you know, it feels like the wheels come off the bus and it all just comes apart on you. And it might simply be a few basic rules that we need to pay attention to and allow some emotional intelligence to come in to make that change for us. Uh, joining us is Dr. Relly Nadler, licensed psychologist, world-class executive coach. He joins us from California today um, to talk to us a little bit about how, uh, we, how we don't have to turn into our worst selves during the holidays and how we can be a little more emotionally intelligent this year. Dr. Relly Nadler, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thank you, Matt. Very glad to be here. So great to have you. Talk to us about this emotional intelligence. Right. We've, we've mentioned it a lot on the show before, um, but, but in the end, it's, it's really the ability to manage and understand my own emotions and the emotion of others, isn't it? That's exactly it, Matt. Yeah, I've listened to a couple of your other shows. It's a great uh, topic. I work with it all the time. So the working definition is understanding yourself, mm. managing yourself, understanding others, managing others. And like I think he said, Matt, you know, at this time we, we have all these expectations and how is it that we have, you know, these dire results. So there's um, these aspects that I talked about and have written about, you know, there's using the acronym of DIRE, D-I-R-E, kind of what happens. And then there's some specific things that people can do to help this holiday hysteria and, and some of the hijacks. And the, and the hijack working definition is when the emotional part of your brain, the amygdala, overtakes the rational part of your brain, and we become our worst self. Right. Yeah, I call that jacked up because yeah. you're hijacked, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so you're becoming just reactive. Yeah. And, you know, the, the amygdala, it has what's called privileged position. Anytime it thinks that something is uh, fearful or emotional, it takes over and it scans the environment to, you know, keep us safe, but it actually can take over. What I talk to executives when I work with, when that happens, you have people operating with less IQ points. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hear that. And I think during the holidays, many of us are operating with less IQ points. It's so true. It's such a privileged position really is the point of that. Talk about your dire uh, results, because these are the things that get in the way. And I think a lot of people are already experiencing them, and we aren't even to the holidays yet. Well, that's true. That's why this is perfect timing for this. So, you know, kind of uh, what goes wrong, you know, first we have all these high expectations, and then, you know, our kids complain and they whine. They don't want to attend a special dinner. Right. Relatives say kind of dumb things about either how we look or, or what's on the wall. We have siblings or uh, relatives who give us advice when we don't want to hear advice. You know, we argue with our spouse about kind of minor things. So the the dire results, the D stands for decision fatigue. And Matt, it's kind of one of my favorite terms now these days when I work with corporate groups, because we're making decisions all the time. The average uh, individual shops 37 hours you know, at this holiday time. Yeah. And that's more than twice the 15 hours that we put into charities during the year. So in these 37 hours, we're trying to find, you know, kind of the best gift. Uh, can this gift show how much we really care for them and where we think about them? And you think about all the decisions, <laughs> you know, that we make. It's, and it's true. It's just uh, multiple. And what happens is, you know, should I get them this color or that color? 
Should I get this? Is this on sale? This is not on sale. Um, Sizes, you know, what right size? Should right. I my, should I use my credit card? Should I pay cash? I mean, we make all these decisions, and it drains our brain. Oh, so, so true. That's really, you know, one of the things, decision fatigue. So actually, supermarkets and, and stores have this. When we're just about drained because we're making so many decisions, they have this enticing item at the checkout count, counter, <laughs> and it's on sale. Me and my wife just went shopping the other day, and everything's 60% off, and you're going, 60%? Wow. Oh, we I better get that. Yeah, we may need that. <laughs> so we have these impulse buys. So that's part of it. That's one of them, decision fatigue. Yeah, totally. The I is these inflated expectations. You know, and we are kind of set up that we want to just, it's a time of giving, and it's a time that we really show our caring. It's also the time that many of us want to make up for all the things that we were either uh, insensitive about or we were late, uh, we didn't listen. So, oh, I'm going to just kind of get, just have this just to be right. It's going to repair all the uh, ills that have happened during the year. Yeah, fix those spoiled kids that, and by spoiling them, right? Because we haven't been paying attention. And so we think that's going to happen. So we have these inflated expectations, and they're really unrealistic. Um, also, so that leads to kind of getting hijacked. So you got decision fatigue, you got inflated expectations. And then this one you already mentioned, the R is reactive, that we, when the um, internal expectations are, are such, and then external reality, internal expectations, external reality, when there's a mismatch, which happens here, it's like this error message in your brain. It's going, hey, what's going on here? And I like to think of it it's like that truck that backs up that makes the obnoxious noise. Yeah. Nah, nah, yeah. Nah. And that's going on in our, in our brain. Wait a minute. That's, this wasn't supposed to happen. Or, or this isn't what I expected. And that gets you hijacked. Oh, and, you so know, true. And they, and they put you back. At, you bring up a good point in your article um, that's on psychology today about how the, the fact that you sometimes get placed back into that reactive or regressed little eight-year-old head. Exactly. And I don't know, Matt, if you've experienced I have. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I've gone home, and whatever the family roles are, and you know from the work that you do, you kind of plug into those family roles. So you may be the family hero. Everything is about your accomplishments. Or you may be the scapegoat in the family. You know, how come you can't be like your brother? How come you can't be like your sister? Yeah. Totally. Or you're the or you're the clown that you know breaks up the tension with humor, or sometimes there's a role that's called the lost child. It's, it's just the quiet one who's at the table, isn't the hero, isn't uh, the scapegoat, but just is quiet and you know no one really even really knows they're there. Mm-hmm. So I think again, as you're reactive, we fall into these old roles, and, and it's like, wow, who who have I become? So not only do you have your regressed, uh, not only do you have your worst self. You got your younger self. Yeah, yeah you can't <laughs> win, and yeah, and, and then I'll, and then they, then they dare to point that out. Man, you act like you're eight. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. And I think what happens at the dinner table. I'm guilty of this too. We, our siblings, we think of them as they were then. Oh, you, you never cleaned up your room. You know. Meanwhile, this is like a 45 year old professional. <laughs> <laughs> you never cleaned your room. Yeah. You're always late to dinner. It's like, okay, well, what does that have to do with now? That's so true. It's so true. Um, and then your last E from the dire model is yeah. emotional hurts, huh? And so the emotional hurts is this idea that we get re-injured. You know, and if you're that lost child and everybody gets all this attention, you probably only have to be sitting there for five minutes. 
that this emotional reaction is, oh, oh, here we go again. And even thinking about the holidays, uh, USA Today had a thing that 63% of people feel it's stressful during holidays. Well, part of this would be, okay, here we go again. You know, my mother or father is going to say this to me. And it brings up these old hurts. And so just thinking about this, we start re-injuring ourselves. And mm-hmm. so here's what's interesting, Matt. The brain we know uh, knows pain, physical pain, and social pain, but it shows up in the brain as the same thing. Yeah, I can't detect, can it? It's just bad either way. It, it's just pain. So the social pain or social rejection, oh, here we go again. I wonder what my mom's going to harp on me about now or what my brother's going to say. So you're starting to injure yourself even before you mm. get to the, the, the house that you're going to be at. Oh, see, so then that amps you up, and 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 that's why it's so dire. Let's let's do this. Uh, let's take a break and continue sure. the discussion after the break. We're speaking with Dr. Relly Nadler, um, and you, you really he's he's got he's got the goods, folks. He's helping us. He's he's got a great website called TrueNorthLeadership.com, TrueNorthLeadership.com, and uh, he's walking us through how we can be more emotionally intelligent during the holiday season. When we come back, he'll be giving us some solutions for how we use more emotional intelligence to kind of dig us out of this hole we may have found ourselves in. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You know, if you're tired, if you're exhausted with the whole idea of Christmas, all the decisions you need to make, if you have all these expectations you don't sense are going to happen, if you tend to feel reactive, if you feel like you're that 8-year-old that they used to make fun of and now you're now the 45-year-old they're making fun of, then, man, have we got the guy for you. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Relly Nadler. He's calling us in from California. He owns the, the organization TrueNorthLeadership.com, and uh, it's a great website, TrueNorthLeadership.com. He's a wonderful coach and psycho uh, and psychologist and uh, is working us through today some ideas, you know, helping us drum up some tools to improve our emotional intelligence. Dr. Relly Nadler, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. You bet. So- Glad we're on this side of it because we all have experienced the hijacks and the and right. loss of IQ. So, the other side of this was another Psychology Today uh, article. What are, the, what are some of the actions that kind of move you from hijack to happiness? You know, and so how do you have more emotional intelligence? So one is the opposite. We talked about irrational expectations. Is to have realistic expectations. So I use this one. You know, get real. R E A L. So the R is have realistic expectations and. Um, one of the things that would be is instead of being on automatic, a lot of times when I work with executives, Matt, I kind of say if you, if you stay in automatic, you stay average. If you can be more disciplined and conscious about things, you can really be exceptional. So going into this, um, what's a goal? What's something significant with each family member that you would like to accomplish? Hmm. So, you know, for example, you know, uh, with with my wife, I want to comment about her strength and determination and how she's been inspiring. These could be a couple sentences. Yeah. You know, but so in this, instead of being reactive, what's the few things? You know, my sister, who maybe I don't see that often, 
I want to at some point take her aside and say something about her warmth, her perspective, and just you know how her attitude uh, is contagious. Um, same thing with your kids, you know. So it's almost with each each family member. How do I have this just be or an automatic? And may, you know, maybe talk about things that don't mean anything, and therefore I'm not listening. Can I really have a significant? Uh, contact with them what would that look like and you're really just trying to think it through and i guess build a plan or build just the yeah the concept and then keep that top of mind yeah so what i would do matt you know i'm on the west coast my i grew up on the east coast so often on the plane i'd say okay so what do i want to say to my dad when he was alive what Hmm. what's what's the one thing with my mom okay how do i want to be with my brother so so i have a plan so i'm more conscious than being on automatic yeah I mean, in worst case scenario, if that's all you were able to do, you've still accomplished your plan. Yeah, exactly, Matt. And then I think it's like, oh, okay, so now I didn't have this unrealistic expectations. I accomplished, you know, at least could be those two or three sentences of appreciation. Yeah, that's cool. And then the E is one is kind of experience the moment, kind of enhance your focus and for empathy. So there's a few E's in there. But, you, you know, you've had people on your show. How do you really stay in the moment yeah. and, and really be there. And uh, Stephen Covey's work that you're, I'm sure you're so familiar yeah. with, yeah. you know, seek to understand before you're understood. I think it's habit five. Yeah. Um, how do you really listen? You know, most of us listen with the idea to respond versus when we think of empathy, the definition is, does someone really see your perspective? And when I work with corporate groups, a play on words. No one knows you see it unless you say it. Right. So if you're at the dinner table and people are, you know, saying things, you know, you almost need to feed it back to them. And then even an advanced skill um, that we've gotten from Dr. Martin Seligman, who's kind of the father of positive psychology, and he put together a whole curriculum around uh, our veterans who come back. And one of the communication skills as part of his curriculum uh, is called giving active constructive responses versus passive constructive. Active constructive, someone says, oh, I got a new job or I'm going to work with this. And if you're listening to them, that's fantastic. Tell me about that. You know, how did they select you? And huh. what does that look like? And, and you know, are, how are you feeling about that? You want to expand the strengths and really celebrate. Interesting. Yeah. Instead of like, well, yeah, and like rebutting it or retorting it. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what we do, right? We just jump in and say, well, I did that too last year. Yeah. Well, so exactly what you're saying, Matt. Here's what's the opposite of that. and you, you nailed it. So it's active, constructive. You know, oh, that's great. And uh-huh. celebrate. It's the ritual. What well, we don't do. We get active, destructive. Oh, really? That's true. So, so you're going to be working more hours? Does that mean you're going to be traveling more? Yeah. Does that mean you're going to be paying more taxes? So that's right. Your wife must hate that, the right? Exact negative. Oh, interesting. We do. What a downer we are. <laughs> Exactly. So a couple of these things I like to think are micro-initiatives. These are simple, and they take a couple sentences. And then the other part of the communication is passive-constructive, and we're all guilty of this. You're all jacked up in a positive way about something, and your family member says, oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. That's all you got for me? Right. That's it. That's it. That's true, though. I mean, and those are great skills because it also just shows you're actually, you know, with them. You're in the moment with them. Yeah, that's cool. And you're, and you're kind of sharing their excitement. So maybe another way of saying that: if someone's excited, you should be as excited as they are. 
and then get them to explore it more. Mm. So that would be the kind of the E for experience in the moment and empathy. That's great. What, what's the A? And then the A is to kind of accept people for the, accept the situation and accept the people. You know, we, we so easily make judgments and going yeah. back to what we said earlier, oh, you're always doing this, you know. Um, working with folks that I would ask them to accept and pay attention to their first interpretation or judgment. Oh, there they go again, <laughs> you know, st- you know, being, trying to be the center of attention. Yeah. If you could step back and say, okay, what else could be going on? What's my second, third, and fourth interpretation? You know, wow, they're really excited about this. They haven't seen each other, haven't seen us, you know, for the year, and and they want to share what they're they want to share their life. Mm. If you could get the second, third, uh, or fourth interpretation, they're almost always going to be better than that quick judgment. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then you'll feel better about it and be able to sell it better <laughs> to show that you care. Yeah, I mean, you can actually be there. So it's kind of, you know, we all make judgments, and especially in that family situation where, yeah. you know, we've seen them, we see the patterns. If we can almost take a deep breath and uh, just accept that's it and then maybe come up with a better interpretation. You bet. That's good stuff. We've only got about one more minute. What's okay. the L stand for? And the L is for love and learn. And so if you're not on automatic, you know, how do you kind of share your love and your con- your concern with them and some of the actions that we've been saying. And so... I'll just share one of them for yeah. yourself. Maybe at the at the end of the day or the holiday time, what are the three or four things that you feel gratitude for hmm. and grateful for? And then maybe share that the next day with your family members. You know, it could be the meal, it could be how they spent time, it could be the long walk, it could be who they who they've been to you. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier about goals. Um, that would be really helpful. That's great and great advice and very basic stuff, really. Yeah. Um, well, we really appreciate you, Relly, uh, and we wish you the the best of holidays this year, and and keep up the good work with emotionally intelligent uh, training because heaven knows we all need it. We all need it. Well, thanks so much. Same to you, and you enjoy bet. the holidays. Thank you, Dr. Relly Nadler. Again, you can find out more about his work at TrueNorthLeadership dot com and get some coaching there as well. Lots of uh, programs that you can look through on that website. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out uh, what they've got on their show. And also at uh, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, they will be having a press conference. Oh, sorry, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll be having a press conference um, about the new announcement of BYU's uh, new football coach. Interesting stuff. 4 p.m. Eastern time. You can be looking for that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. They've had a very, very busy weekend. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What's up? You're back. We're happy to report that we survived Las Vegas. I know. Did you Did you see Steve Harvey's big mistake while you were there? 
Um, I didn't see it until last night, and that was epic. <laughs> Keith Harvey wants to announce that Kyle Whittingham is the new head coach. Wait, wait, hold it. Wait three minutes. I have to make an oh, apology. I, I apologize. It's actually uh, Kalani Satake. Uh, can can you not? Do you not feel horrible for him? Like uh, just as a broadcaster? Oh, absolutely. And I said to my wife last night, I think that he, in a horrible situation, he did a very good job. Doing his best yeah. to reel in that absolute madness. And, and I know uh, he feels awful. And he owned it. He owned it. It was on the card. It's my fault. I read it wrong. Oh, it's just horrible. I feel bad for uh, Miss Philippines because she, I don't think even right now, I don't know that she actually knows that she won. She still seems confused to me. Oh, yeah, she looked at Miss USA and was like, What's he talking I, I about? I won. I, I won. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Oh. Okay, so I don't even know where to begin with you guys because it's it's been a crazy uh, it's been a crazy weekend. So that's putting it lightly. I know. So just tell me, first quarter, first eleven minutes, what was what was going through your head? Incredulous. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just like I. I don't know that I've ever seen this in any college football game ever. Ever, right. You're always the first team in the last 10 years. I'm surprised that another team did it within the last 10 years. To turn the ball over on its first five possessions. <laughs> yeah, but that team probably didn't have five touchdowns given up. It just stinks because yeah. all of those led to scores. Yeah. Like, if BYU was negative four in turnover margin, they might have gone to overtime. What? You know, like... BYU played really well for three quarters and change, and uh, it cost them. Oh, and it yeah. stinks because they've lost seven to ten to Utah. They've lost five in a row. There's, I mean, it, that, that's a real issue. There, there's, there's got to be some hope, like because they looked really good for three plus quarters. Well, well hope for what? Like they well, lost the game. You they know? did. It, it, you have a new coach, and you press the reset button. And I, I, I said last week. You know, we're going to dismiss the result to a degree, but I didn't see a single player or coach after the game that I talked to, and I talked to a lot. That was like, well, at least we fought back in that. They yeah. were all just bummed. bummed. Were they? Yep. yep. There's no moral victory in it. For yeah, I guess guys. you can't have a moral victory, except they could have rolled over and just yeah. died. No, definitely applaud. There the are effort. degrees of sting in a loss. Definitely yeah. applaud the effort. Yeah. But they, lo- but they lost, and that just stinks. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And then you guys. You you must have been dying. Like this is going to be a really long game, and and you have to. Oh yeah, fell, it was on pace for one forty. Well, I kept looking at Jeremy. I'm like, it's so early. Like it's just so early. Like and BYU who played knows what's going to happen? Extremely well. Yeah. Um, it just stinks because the Utah offense is not good. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Hundred ninety seven yards total offense, seventy something passing, and they win the game. Yeah. I oh. mean. You can do that when you're plus five in the turnover margin. Yeah, and B- the BYU defense played well, but they did not create a turnover. Um, well, in the it, game, which which may have cost them in the end. I mean, if if BYU comes back and wins that game, that is the largest comeback in bowl history and in school history. That's the kind of uh, effort that it took, would have taken to win that game. And, and they were there. It, I guess, you know, how do you oh, overcome? They needed one more stop to get yeah. the ball back in their hands. It just ran out of time. And, uh, yeah, as Jerem said, 31 points is the largest deficit ever overcome. In a bowl game, mm. it happened win. two years ago by Houston. Unbelievable! Yeah, uh, you know my kids were there. Did they ever find you? I can't remember. No, they didn't. That's my one of them got a picture with Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons. Nice, that oh, was cool. pretty cool. Yeah, Bryce Harper. The, there were some big uh, time, MVP yeah, big time people there. Well. there for I sure. know. 
The Jabberwockies oh. performed at the in between the um, third and fourth. Quarter I today. saw those. I saw the big heavy man dancing next to them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that was yep. hilarious. Was that was that you? In. Then they zoomed in and were like, "Did hey. ABC show that?" Yeah. Was that yeah? Okay. And it, yeah, he just kept going. I thought he was going to have a heart attack, cardiac arrest, right there. Yeah, he had a baker's dozen. <laughs> he had a keg. <laughs> um, what? And he probably did have a keg before. Um, what, that was the first BYU Utah game where beer was sold, by the way, in the stadium. Oh, really? Because it was neutral. <gasps> true. That's true. Yeah. Interesting. See, another another little fact we wouldn't have known without you guys. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Sataki? I'm sure that's going to be big on the game or on your show today. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, not much time to think about what happened in the game because immediately after the game, they're like, uh, "BYU is holding a press conference to announce their next head coach." So Jerem rushes up to the press box, and uh, Tom Homo announces it and says, in the meantime, I've talked to Kalani. We've got a plan of how we're going to beat Utah. We play him again soon. Mm. So that kind of stoked the rivalry fire again. And, and to answer your question, I, I the, think— That plan is to turn it over less than five times. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. going to be a big, that's big part of it. That's the start. <laughs> I think this is an exciting hire. I think this is the unknown hire because it's not the safe one per se. Yeah. I think that that creates more excitement and more conversation about what BYU can do. And we know he's a fantastic recruiter and he's a Lavelle guy. So he's got a ton of upside. It's just tough. Transition time is tough. I was talking all summer long about how Nebraska had a new coaching staff and that BYU is going to take advantage of that. And, and ultimately they did. Well, now BYU's in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and we have full coverage of all things Kalani Sataki and BYU Utah today. So we're live at noon Eastern like normal. And then at 3 Eastern, we will carry on BYU TV and BYU Radio the live press conference introducing uh, Kalani Sataki. Then normally our afternoon edition of the show is a re-air on BYU TV and BYU yeah. Radio. It is live wow. today at that 6 is... Eastern on TV. Oh. Um, and then I'm not sure how that's being handled on the radio side for the rebroadcast, which is normally at 7. I assume that they'll just take that hour. But, yeah, hang, hang out all day. Uh, with us, and we'll have full coverage. So we get two doses of you guys. Yep, two shows today. Plus Holy cow. It's kind of like when you've got a really bad infection and you need two doses of oh antibiotics. Kalani will be, uh, Kalani Stocky will be on our, uh, in studio on our afternoon show as well. How awesome is that? Okay, and so in a way, the BYU could start to actually resemble the Utes. Stop mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. now. I mean, he Wait, had, in what way more than Sataki? Didn't he spend ten years with with Kyle? So maybe he'll maybe he'll start you know playing like Kyle. We don't want that. That's I know, cons- but that's I'm just elite saying defense, really good special teams, and conservative offense. This, oh. is a, this is an aggressive offensive place. We'll see though what he brings to the table. It's gonna be cool. Listen, ultimately winning matters the most, but totally. BYU fans really care about style. That's right. That's right. Well, and I think I still think there's a lot of people upset about losing the triple option. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's two of them. Kenny Amatololo was at the game. I talked to him for a minute. Did you? Did His he... son plays for BYU. Sure. So he came to watch. Well, and oh, that's interesting. I bet he's sad he can't have his son, but what do you do? Well, he chose that. So. Yeah. yeah, but there was reasons. Somewhere. Oh, I have a hard time sympathizing with people who make choices of their own volition. Yeah. And then complain. Like, he didn't complain, but. But, but then. If our... you make a choice, own the, cho- own the choice, right? Yeah. Did yeah. you, like, you chose to jump in the pool. I chose to jump in the pool. I didn't complain about how no. cold it was. I said, I jumped in the pool. I chose that. Um, you ch- you, and you didn't get a cold or anything? No. Okay. No, it, was, it wasn't bad at all, actually. Do you, did, do you think Spencer ought to do more stuff like that? No. 
No, there's a no, reason he doesn't, that I don't he doesn't talk bring myself into those corners. You, yeah, you, you think ahead, don't you? You do, you do, but you don't attach a consequence with it. <laughs> like that's the that's the difference. But the, you know what? You blew it up, man. You got your goal right. Your goal was to get a lot of, you know, Twitter retweets, and you know, my goal it. was to get attention, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, you're in Vegas, let's man. Be, let's be honest. It was to get attention. It's a TV show. That's right. It's not. We're not doing this for fun. We're doing this for entertainment. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah and by the way, that was super entertaining. And you looked great. I'm glad you liked it. You looked great in that speedo. Seriously, oh seriously, yeah, nailed it. Yeah, the honor code came. Up, office <laughs> was like, "Sorry, in? you cannot jump in with that speedo." And I was like, "Okay, fine." Yeah. Oh well. I'm here. I choose to obey these rules. And you had a great, you had a great tournament. I mean, you had a great uh, turnout right around the pool there too. That was cool. Yeah, it was fun. They yeah, got everybody out there. there. Hey, I've got a job. If you guys need to get a job, let's just say things don't go well and you need a job. Uh, they do need live elves on the shelf. You get paid about a hundred bucks to just look at people at parties and sit on the shelf, but dress like an elf. So <laughs> wow. if, if you guys need to uh, call me, really I'll, tough. I'll give you the information on that. We'll let you know. Okay, have a great show, gentlemen. To have a great two shows. Thank you. You're Thank busy you, sir. all day. Knock them dead. Good stuff. I'm telling you, these guys they know what they're doing, and they were they were at Vegas. We could have lost Jerem with a, a flu. I mean, he was risking his entire life jumping in the pool. <sighs> what do you do? Did you hear about this? A pack of 320 surfing Santas have embraced the Guinness spirit in Australia and broken the world's record for the largest surf lesson. Guinness World Record confirmed that to the BBC that um, in, on the Sydney's Bondi Beach on Tuesday that exceeded the target of 250 surfers. Apparently, there were 320 that eventually got on the record-breaking surf. It's a, an attempt to raise awareness of mental health issues. That's kind of cool. Also, uh, you may not know this, but uh, Christmas this year is going to be a little bit different. The last time there was a full moon on Christmas, Jimmy Carter was the president, and a gallon of gas cost 65 cents. But on Christmas Day, folks, it's going to happen again. A full moon. According to the Weather Channel, it's an event that won't happen again until 2034, and then every 19 years after that, for a few cycles, the independent... uh, uh, organization explains, but it has been a full 38 years since the last Christmas Day full moon. So enjoy it. That also means there will probably be, you know, more problems in the emergency rooms, more tide problems, and more crazies out on the loose. Plus, not to mention the Christmas werewolf. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, um, anyway, interesting stuff. So we always, as you know, like to end with a hero story. I got a great one from Ireland. Listen to this. A quick-thinking dad saves his family from a burning house thanks to the quick-thinking of Kevin Cashman. Nobody in his family was injured during a devastating house fire. Cashman was downstairs in his home when the smoke alarms went off around 3 o'clock in the morning. Cashman ran up to the bedrooms, alerting his whole family of the danger and getting everyone out of the house. The fire spread so quickly that as Cashman got the last of his five children out of the burning house, his foot crashed through a blazing ceiling. Holy cow. He suffered second-degree burns and was treated for smoke inhalation. Kevin's wife, Suzanne Cashman, 
says she shudders to think what might have happened if Cashman hadn't been there. The Cashman's home was completely destroyed by the Inferno, including all of the decorations and presents for the Christmas holiday. In the meantime, the Cashmans are staying with relatives and neighbors. Cashman says it isn't the Christmas we'd expected, but it could have been worse. We have each other, and that is what matters. The family says they were totally overwhelmed by the community's response to their plight. They have been gifted uh, many offers of Christmas dinners, toys, accommodations, entertainment, and clothing. So Kevin Cashman, not just a dad, but he's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, again, folks, you don't have to be brave to be the hero, right? You just got to do what you got to do. And for some, that's you just trying to get through the Christmas season. And, you know, some of you are going to be working for Christmas, and we appreciate you. We thank you for all of your your service, those that have to, you know, work in emergency services, keeping the the police and the fire out there, firemen out there. We appreciate you as well. Well, that's the show. We'll take a break. Actually, we're done. But coming up next, BYU Sports Nation. And then right after that, uh, an interview with the brand new coach, BYU's uh, new coach, uh, Kalani Sataki. That'll be up 1 o'clock, actually 3 o'clock Eastern time. Good stuff, folks. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.